Hallo und herzlich willkommen bei einer weiteren. Welcome to another program of our Corona uh, Foundation. So this is our 71st uh, meeting. Uh, sorry. Yeah. And uh, it's very interesting to move even closer to uh, the matter of the fact really involved. So our number 117 session is going to focus on the issue business and, um, you know, it's about enterprise and uh, how how they perform in the midst of this crisis. Rainer, do you want to make any preliminaries or do we want to get into the nitty gritty? We have a number of videos. Um, three at the end of the session that are a bit longer than uh, the few that we will show in the course of the session itself. But let's get started with Christian Beer, who uh, has been with us before, Christian Axel Turk, uh, likewise. And then um, um, I uh, met um, Christian Beer um, at a, a meeting in uh, Austria. He is the founder, owner, and CEO of the Hiran Innovations uh, Factory. Originally, uh, development of construction of customized assembly machines. Um, now they have become uh, five independent subsidiaries. He'll speak about Corona since 2020 from the perspective of an Austrian entrepreneur. I had the impression that the Austrian entrepreneurs are much more awake and active than the Germans and what impact the measures have had on his business. About the foundation and his involvement in the network Einheit.at, Unity.at, an initiative of more than 8,800 um, um, Austrian companies, which goals it pursues and how it takes action. I'm really curious, um, we met before, we talked before, so Christian, please get started. Yeah, one thing's for certain, if somebody had told me two years ago that I would be sitting here and telling you what I'm about to tell you, I wouldn't have believed them. I'm here to talk about the topic uh, that we found out fairly early on, uh, that the uh, candidates or applicants were concerned. They wanted to find out what about your vaccination status and we said we need to do something about this. Uh, this is why we had a newspaper ad saying that uh, both vaccinated and non-vaccinated are just as welcome. And this triggered a host of different feedback. I even got murder threats. But I also got a lot of positive feedback too. Many entrepreneurs got in touch with me and they said, okay, I want to take a stance too. I want to set a sign, send a message. And this is why we launched another ad against certain obstruction. And uh, more than 16 and entrepreneurs outed themselves, came out of the closet and said, uh, well, we want to put a stand against discrimination. And again, it was a mixed response. We got pressure. I mean, some entrepreneurs who, um, you know, also put their logo on the on the ad, then backpedaled, and they said, "I'm going to withdraw because the clients, the uh, state or government, is creating such a predicament." Whilst I personally agree with you, I need to adopt a lower profile and withdraw from this campaign. And I was really concerned that, uh, as an entrepreneur, you cannot make an open statement against discrimination without getting into difficulties. And this is why we 
um, then saw that more entrepreneurs uh, uh, got in touch with us and we said, okay, we are going to set up a, a platform and the Tyrolean uh, entrepreneurs also set uh, up um, uh, their own uh, campaign and uh, we come from a different re uh, region, region and then we um, um, registered a domain called Unity uh, Einheit uh, and uh, we were delighted to see the domain was still available. What's interesting is that uh, um, suddenly afterwards uh, I got a rally in order to check the um, hygiene controls in my company and uh, I said no this is not on I mean I uh, said look we have two routes uh, so I am the uh, person in charge of this uh, organization and everybody is going to uh, be tested before the, you enter and they said they won't take the test and uh, I said look I'm not going to let you enter this this is trespassing so I went back to my client and then 15 minutes later they just uh, stormed us uh, secretary told me they stormed us I mean they got like a backup police squad and then all members of staff were interrogated are you vaccinated are you tested do you have a certificate that was the first risk reaction immediately on the heels of that we had a SAIDS meeting where all the European SAIDS reps were present in the house and uh, we did a seminar of course we need to cater and suddenly we've got the police on our door step and they want to find the uh, you know check the uh, you know rules the uh, vaccination or uh, rules whether they've been tested and in sometimes you had to be tested and vaccinated sometimes you just had to be tested I could fend off this test again or this check I mean it's just a coincidence uh, um, then I got a fiscal uh, audit of the f uh, uh, f last five years but I'm very sad very relaxed here so maybe it's just a number of coincidences and it's got nothing to do with the ad that we launched anyway that was the kickoff for us and now let's talk about Unity Einheit. So we launched this platform in Vorarlberg in our region and I said it would be cool if we got together 300 companies who could join forces. But we uh, quickly understood there's many uh, enterprises who want to become involved, but they don't want to have their logo appear because they were concerned about peer pressure and customers' clients. Etc. And we rolled it out across the whole of Austria. Half of them show face, uh, they show their logo, their corporate logo, so they've got the balls, uh, but uh, the other ones without a logo. So we have their written statement. Half of the participants of their companies that participate. Yes, half of them are present with their logo. You can also see it on our website which you can now visit and we have a clear statement we are in favor of free vaccination decision clearly against discrimination so any individual is free to decide whether they want to be vaccinated or not that was the kickoff and in the meantime we've got like um, lots of visits on our website but anyway 
Uh, now I think it's going to be very interesting because we need to check how we can, uh, you know, what we can do with that, because uh, I think it's going to happen now that people understand what uh, was done to them. So be it the mask or the vaccination, they're suddenly going to realize the consequences and these consequences haven't been communicated, transparency. Many people will wake up to the fact that they've been seduced or abused. And I think our task as Einheit Unity is that we lend them a helping hand because there were many companies and entrepreneurs who fought or coerced their staff to be vaccinated and they acted in good faith. And um, maybe some entrepreneurs also play, paid premiums or bonuses if they got vaccinated. And I mean, an entrepreneur wants to have the best for their members of staff, but if they understand what's actually behind all of that, it's going to be, you know, quite challenging. And uh, understanding what's behind that and, uh, you know, who pulls the puppet strings is going to be even more challenging. And uh, then it will be our task to help them or those who have been discriminated. You're probably the only ones available, aren't you? Yes, it looks like that. Uh, I mean, uh, I mean, I mean, I mean, I don't, don't think an entrepreneur will check who is sick and who is not sick. But I understand the rationalization. I mean, if you had your kid vaccinated and if you understood, understand that's a mistake, then it takes a lot of character to face up to the facts. And I think here we really need to um, move this onto an even keel because otherwise we we'll even have greater difficulties in society than the ones we're in for anyway. Can you quantify the number of staff who are uh, feeling poorly or who are uh, even more ill than they used to be? No, I don't want to um, talk about the details too much. We've got really severe cases in our organization. Um, also sudden and unexpected cases? Yes, sudden severe illnesses and, uh, you know, in my environment, also in other enterprises. And we can just see what's happening here. After the start of the vaccinations or before? Yes, after the vaccination. Well, it speaks uh, loud and clear, uh, and we get it from all over the place. Um, for instance, uh, there's also the uh, a discussion um, that was uh, taped by a, or recorded of a, a CEO of a Texan insurance company. He thought he was speaking off the record. He said, we have an increase of 114% of mortality, which can be quite expensive for life insurance. But it's not only about uh, money, it's about the fact that people are dying there. So if it is a, a process of a wake-up call um, that is becoming uh, more and more an issue, then more and more people will need help. Do you know, notice that staff uh, discuss the side effects, adverse effects on, amongst themselves? No, 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 people um, keep that under uh, the rug. Um, I um, allowed myself to be carried away and to speak quite clearly. Maybe that's not fair vis-a-vis -vis the staff members. Um, I um, said my opinion is clear if you want to hear it or not. But um, if you want to hear it, this is my opinion. And everybody didn't appreciate that. And some staff members left the company because they said 
um, no, you can't do that. And uh, But I also got additional staff members, uh, people who said, okay, um, at least at last there's a company uh, where the vaccination status doesn't count but the competence. So it's a, a bit of a balanced uh, situation, but I think it's turning around now, actually. I have um, a couple of uh, really interesting examples with two products where I uh, woke up very early on uh, that it can't really be about health. Um, it's not possible. Uh, very early on, I have good staff members. We have a lot of competence in-house, and, and we said we can't only talk, we have to do something. So we said, okay, we can do this thing with uh, mobile phone. If we track with the mobile phone, then we can uh, follow up on who has been a contact of who. But we stopped this very uh, quickly because the protocols of the um, blood values uh, and test results are so different. And also um, the way people, when people uh, have their mobile with them um, is quite different. So we were quite uh, uh, curious about why does industry uh, want to imp uh, implement this. And this is why we developed the device. Uh, we said we can't do it with a mobile phone. We need to have a device that has optimized protocols so you can actually measure distances to a certain extent with um, coordinated protocols, and we have to monitor uh, the facial um, proximity because mouth, eyes, nose, they are dangerous um, apertures for um, the virus to entry. And um, well, so um, Oscar was in lockdown and we worked around the clock really. And uh, within six weeks, we were able to um, produce the first prototype. Many um, companies that supported us that did um, tools that uh, made the um, motherboards, etc. So that was really um, um, a great effort. But we made a, a big effort to avoid geodata or personal data on the devices. Each device has a um, a unique ID number, and if two of them um, encounter, uh, meet each other, then these uh, ID numbers are uh, stored. And only if somebody is then subsequently tested positively for uh, COVID will this ID number be uh, allocated to a person. And then we thought, okay, we'll do something, uh, a cool thing. Uh, via the, uh, the app, we upload the matchings uh, to the server once a day. So we programmed this app in C, and we tried to get the app into the Apple Store or Google Store, and then all of a sudden we had problems. Um, hours and hours of phone uh, calls with ever-changing contact partners, and we were wondering what's happening here. They should actually uh, help us get this thing to market, um, obstacles no end. So at the end of the day, um, uh, somebody had to leave the phone call and he gave us his uh, private uh, phone number. I'm not telling you which uh, one of the big ones, but we called him at the weekend on his private phone and he said, they will never allow you to get in. And I asked like, why? Well, they don't want to have you. They don't want to have a, a competition product where the data is not saved, is not stored. So that actually um, 
Maybe we wake up from my naivete and we were asking ourselves, now what can we do? As a normal startup, you'd, you would have been bankrupt now. We uh, invested hundreds of thousands in the development, was really ready. And we said, okay, you have to know, within a year, about 8 million such applications are forwarded to these two companies for, for uh, to Apple and Google. And we were the ones that they uh, rejected. And we were wondering, how do they do that? Uh, do they use bots? Uh, so they look for certain um, terms and um, such and such uh, things are filtered out. Uh, so we said, okay, we'll change the program in such a way that we can uh, trick um, this bot. Uh, we had really very good uh, programmers. So uh, lo and behold, we uh, registered this app and half an hour later, we were um, uh, we had the uh, release, we were accepted. Mm. Well, we know what it is, we're not saying this. So this was still in there, they don't know how we um, registered it. Now what they wanted us to do is to do an account via the um, health uh, authorities because it has to do something with health. And I said, no, it has nothing to, to do with health. It has uh, to do with distances and um, tracking distances, etc., and analysis, same. So I uh, got on the phone with the uh, local uh, economics um, president, president uh, and in five minutes uh, of a phone call, we had uh, the connection um, disconnected uh, four or five times. That may be coincidental, but um, I uh, took my son's uh, telephone. Um, he wasn't happy about it. Um, he wasn't happy about it because he's just gotten it. Um, so I told uh, the person that was calling, well, um, I'll call you from a different number. Please answer the phone. And it was really interesting. If somebody had told me that, I would have said, no, I won't believe you. But it really happened to me personally. Oh, it's just a coincidence, isn't it? All of it coincidence. And uh, thanks God, we uh, did a few more uh, developments. So you can uh, transport it via the web, via a tablet, by uh, um, uh, loading. And that's why they didn't notice it. If we'd had a lot of transactions, they would have noticed. Now we did it via tablets and uh, at the charging stations when they're uh, charged by night, and so we could cover it very well. But it is really spooky if you uh, think about it. And then we uh, were on the phone with uh, some young Australian students that did something uh, very interesting, and they said, well, we have a problem to get the app released. And we said, no, that's no surprise to us. It really seems that the two big ones are um, reserving the health area for themselves. All these technologies uh, that uh, would be helpful uh, in health terms, they want to have that. That's just insane. It just goes to show Intermesh, the deeper industrial uh, complex is uh, involved. I mean, you don't know how all of this is interconnected. And I'm just uh, surprised. Aren't you nimble enough in order to recognize the mobile phone of your son and uh, to take corresponding action? So where they become active and where they don't is really surprising. And what do I expect of that? Yeah. 
Sometimes it is. Maybe we can speak about uh, medium-sized companies in Germany. But another story to um, uh, round it off. Uh, we developed a software program where the customer can uh, give very qualified feedback to the app or the program directly to the developer. So um, if I have a problem with the app, I just shake the phone and uh, a window opens and I can send it directly to the developer and uh, he gets all the uh, information on the current um, page of uh, or uh, display of the mobile and we were uh, given a, uh, a an award in Austria for um, entrepreneurship uh, three months of training in Silicon Valley was the prize and uh, we were happy to accept it we learned a lot about customer orientation uh, you can't really teach Silicon Valley thing uh, Valley anything about customer orientation we learned a lot as well but what was really interesting was it seems um, maybe we should have done it. Um, it's, uh, we were asked whether we want to have a, a financing round, and we participated with, uh, in a pitch, and uh, we apparently uh, presented one of the best pitches ever, blah, 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 uh, a great interest. And they asked us now, how far is this idea, this product progress? And we said, well, we're nearly done. And they couldn't understand because they uh, get the funding much earlier on um, and we explained to them how far we'd progressed and they said well that is uh, funny how many investors are on board already and we said none the founders uh, still own 100 percent and then they said that's a bit difficult so we, and we didn't understand that because they mentioned that at this stage of development we by now we have nearly 400 customers but uh, by then a normal startup company would have spent 10 20 million uh, already they are really uh, flooded with money um, and, and that's legitimate that's normal but that means that if an investor gets on board now it won't uh, lead to a situation where at the end of the day the founder only has five or eight percent of the company that is uh, the normal uh, pro uh, way and then the founder hasn't the final influence anymore so I realized uh, via the startups, the technology scene, they buy their influence via the um, funding, via these huge funds, huge funds. And I have to say, in Europe, we're quite naive on, in this, on this count. It really looks like, and you really have to take a closer look there, it all looks like everything is moving uh, towards uh, platform economy, uh, and that is really dangerous for Europe. We don't have a search engine in Europe. We don't have a really well-working cloud surface and that has a certain size. We have the infrastructure, etc. We uh, slept our way through it, but we have the uh, biggest purchasing power. And if we uh, look around, uh, China um, has made itself independent. Russia did the same. America has these things anyway. And we in Europe have nothing uh, in terms of these technologies. We have nothing. We're way behind, and it's really too late. And if we go towards uh, small and medium-sized companies, I really have to say I'm uh, a bit surprised that, particularly in the German-speaking area, I looked up the data, and many uh, probably don't know that the hidden champions 
And the German-speaking uh, area is really unique worldwide. And these hidden champions do not depend on uh, the platform economy. And I believe that I, I can't help myself, but I suspect that it's also about this strong, these strong, small and medium-sized uh, companies that are usually very strong, whose products are in great demand worldwide. They usually have a good equity situation and they are market leaders in their niche. And if they rose, I have to say, I don't quite understand how these small and medium-sized companies who um, generate most uh, tax revenue via their staff, but also about their uh, through their uh, corporate tax, because the big corporations pay basically nothing, how they allow their tax monies or our tax monies to be wasted for mass tests, vaccinations, whatever measures they be. I'm really surprised that nobody that there's not more um, objection here, um, resistance. I uh, believe it has to do with what I mentioned earlier, that too many went along, didn't look at it intensively, and now have a problem um, backpedaling. Because it is well known that in the German-speaking uh, area, uh, there is uh, 16, 17 um, uh, market leaders uh, per um, uh, thousand companies, and there's one uh, in Sweden, for instance, they're next in line. Uh, so in Germany, there's about a thousand hidden champions, and uh, America, the US, which is much, much larger, they have, I think, 360. So I I'm growing suspicious that it's also about weakening this aspect of German business because they would have incredible power because these products are really in great demand worldwide. These products are so good and are independent of platforms. They can survive without this platform economy because they have a di very direct customer relationship. And I believe that this is really one of the triggers uh, for us, we cooperate very closely and intensively with our customers. And at the beginning, uh, we always, with every business relationship, we uh, hold workshops with our customers to determine what is the reality, because most companies don't know how their processes run in their companies. And we always try to be very transparent, very brutal in um, figuring out what are the processes. And uh, it would be the same thing with us. If somebody told us, uh, I'd say, oh, no, I w uh, didn't know that this is happening. So we have an approach now that uh, we don't believe uh, what our customers tell us, but we uh, verify what actually happens. And all the companies that we supported over the last 30 years, they were never right. So there's absolutely no one-size-fits-all product. You always check. Always customized, customized very individual. And don't need any platform because they can't do anything else but one-size-fits-all. Precisely. And that's why we uh, keep asking, asking again, asking again. And with all the corona measures, corona data, etc., we questioned all of these. And then these two um, 
events that that happened, these experiences, we, where we said, okay, we have to be careful what's happening here. We have to watch out here. So that's our background. And in our company, we really have the conviction we're not uh, called innovation factory for nothing. We believe that the only thing that can actually make a, a, a society grow richer is innovation. Anything else is redistribution. You may or may not redistribute. But innovation is something that benefits everybody. So uh, if nobody had invented the wheel, we nobody would benefit from it. So uh, we always try to be innovative. And so we try to develop this safety product, a safety product that is a better solution. Actually, I, uh, you know, when you spelt out the differences between, you know, the German-speaking entrepreneurial landscape and the American, you know, since you talked about it, I mean, we also discussed it. I mean, I in Texas, I spoke to a cool Texan, and I think he's uh, one of five or six to en developers, energy engineers who look at verti verti uh, gardens, vertical gardens, and um, you know. We're working on that as well. Which have much more harvest. Anyway, that's just to show what the difference is. You develop this completely independently, and also at the end of the development, you're still owner of the, all of this uh, business. And he said, by the way, he's a great guy. He said, we just make sure, make it interesting, sexy for the market, and then we go to Silicon Valley, and then we go to um, investors. But they then turn around and say, uh, well, you get money, but uh, we need 70% of the share. So there's two different trajectories that can happen. He was also very much aware of that. It's a brilliant product that's been marketed by third parties, and they pocket the money. And the actual uh, inventor or engineer um, gets maybe 5% of the uh, cut. And if a certain product becomes too dangerous for a certain industry, for instance, the energy sector, then you just put it on a back burner and then maybe cheaper energy will just not be available in, at the market. And that is exactly what characterizes old Europe, that uh, we have companies here that have been working for generations that don't grow so fast, that grow organically, but were uh, innovative force and honesty and the... Uh, Sustainability is something that you don't have to discuss with them. That's a matter of course for them. Uh, looking at energy, we were among uh, the first that used uh, geothermal uh, um, heating uh, in all our buildings on a, a major scale. We um, don't need gas. We uh, use solar power and geothermal. Um, that's a matter of course. We don't even mention it. That's normal. And of course, it's not sold so well. And I really um, am starting to begin uh, to have the um, suspicion that, um, well, Corona didn't um, manage it. But maybe this energy policy that you'll speak about later on, uh, I, I, I suspect really that next year we'll have bankruptcies and problems among companies in a, on a scale that we can't imagine now. Yeah, it's been slightly protracted through the artificial aids, but uh, um, I mean, many companies, especially from uh, catering and hotel industry, have been knocked out. I mean, they will all be consolidated into some chains or something. Exactly. Yeah. Well, uh, investor participation is also an, um, in, an, a motivation killer. 
I uh, worked in this um, venture capital uh, area for a while um, as a, a business angel. And if uh, people are uh, kept small, if they have only small shares anymore, but and they lose their um, interest in the company, their share in the company, then they um, oftentimes remove themselves. And I found it a bit perverted, actually, that I uh, turned my back on this business because then instead of investing into a good product uh, where uh, everybody, for instance, in a small and medium-sized company, uh, they just uh, stick together and, and give it all, um, the investor simply um, floats more shares. Yes, and they learned that. I mean, now they incrementally try to delay the rise of the entrepreneur in order to water down motivation, etc. And uh, I think they learned quite something there. But bottom line, uh, we'll have to say that if you hadn't uh, spoken out with your company, then you wouldn't have uh, received any feedback from your co uh, colleagues either. And only by being visible and audible, other people, all right, you uh, ran into some problems, but obviously, on balance, the benefits outweigh the disadvantages because people uh, came forward, okay, it was balanced, okay. Yeah, maybe so, so. Mm, I, I really wonder, well, do I need to put up with that? I mean, I, uh, set, I'm at an age now, I mean, I set up the company 33 years ago and uh, we really were in tooth and nail and we um, uh, mortgaged the company up until the hills, but I mean, um, now uh, uh, I thought, well, we, we calm down, but I mean, I can't keep quiet, uh, something is off here. Well, we have to say you don't have 20 or 30 staff members, but way uh, more than a thousand. 500. Uh, it's not okay. that bad. Well, it could be better still, of course. So 500 only. Okay. But um, we uh, discussed uh, at an earlier stage that this is a specialty uh, of entrepreneurship for the German speaking area. Now, this innovation, the family business, the family orientation, that the uh, staff members are very close to the entrepreneur, entrepreneurs very close to the customer, and the link from the customer to the staff, so the passion for the product, is, I, I almost have the uh, impression, um, well, I mean, people want to convince uh, the um, staff to um, to ignore this but i mean the motor the, the staff are, are naturally motivated uh, so you try to instill in people a kind of feeling that you know being innovative and working hard is not interesting but quite on the contrary it's a satisfaction if i do something meaningful in my life uh, so well. yeah and that's why there are some people who say i don't want to retire at all just wasting my money. I'd prefer to keep working. Yeah, it's boring, of course, yeah. Well, that's so typical about entrepreneurism. But uh, Thomas, there's also great companies in Italy. Well, I grew up in the fashion industry. Um, so pre-crisis, well, still uh, as this kind of sideline employment. But anyway, there's great companies which do great craftsmanship, so also in terms of production of materials. So I'm like a fashion insider, and these are very much traditional uh, enterprises. It goes well beyond the German-speaking area, but especially in America, uh, through the platform economy and investment dynamics. Uh, 
um, people have been ousted from an entrepreneurial uh, spirit. Yeah, these hidden champions, these these uh, uh, world market leaders, it's incredible how many of those there are in, in uh, the German-speaking area in Germany, uh, Switzerland. My wife and I live in uh, uh, Naples, and we feel that uh, people uh, still talk to each other. So I feel that this uh, division is created deliberately everywhere so that uh, the individual feels weak. And if you walk through Naples, they just talk with each other. Everybody talks to everybody. Uh, I um, think we have to be careful that we don't lose this humanity, this uh, joy in uh, communication and exchange of ideas, etc. But what really rubbed up against me uh, very badly is um, I'm, I'm disappointed with two things. Uh, first of all, from uh, with artists who should um, be um, the ones who uh, criticize us and the media who should be the um, fourth power uh, in the balance of powers. And both of them failed uh, um, blatantly. On the contrary, this uh, reporting objective so that the viewer can decide at the end of the day what he uh, he's in favor of or against um, because he was well informed and of course i uh, could have um, had it easier by just uh, going along then i would have had two easy going uh, years behind me now but the question really arises what are we here for and what's our responsibility i have a company um, that works internationally, that is not dependent on a specific industry. Um, we work across industries and internationally, and I think that's part of my responsibility. A responsible um, entrepreneur can't do that because he depends of clients, of uh, suppliers, etc. So that would be the entrepreneur's death. But I know that everybody can't uh, put their uh, foot forward no. like that. We have very clearly an entrepreneur here. We also had, you know, dyed-in-the-wool entrepreneurs who are in it with their uh, lifeblood in their business, so very close to customers, to their members of staff, and that also evolves into a kind of proximity between the staff and clients. So um, this is something that you can't get over a platform economy. So I went in court, went to court the other day, and uh, represented an entrepreneur, and I asked her how many damage, what, what's the damage yet that you uh, suffered as a result of the lockdown? And she said, the biggest damage is difficult to see, foresee right now, to quantify right now. She thinks that the aids uh, which were given to some people, not to all of them, and that now partly they're being reclaimed, now the aids won't be sufficient anymore. And she said, the biggest issue for me was to speak both to Customers. She comes from the clothing industry, and here you really need to provide advice. Uh, you can't just tell her, well, just take this one uh, off the shelf, etc. No way. <laughs> She's not like a man, uh, you know, I take X, Y, Z, and off, off, off I go. But she said that's what keeps me up day and night. And uh, she says something is awfully off here. And only by, you know, kowtowing in front of my staff and humoring them, explaining to them that, well, well we continue some way. And, and she, she tries you also humor all her customers and say, hey, you can also buy this uh, with me and not through Amazon. But this is a damage that is created. 
And of course, at the end of the day, the tangible damage will have to be compensated. But this is the DNA of the genuine German entrepreneurship, proximity to the close customer and uh, the family uh, ties, mainly family business. I think you're a third-generation family business too. And managers don't care. And to stick to individual problems consistently and to pursue the ideal situation, what would be ideal for the customer without giving up? I think that is a virtue uh, that we have. Uh, we have a, an objective and we fight for it, even if it gets uh, tricky. I think that what that's what characterizes this entrepreneurship and uh, for Mr. Global, that's not so pleasant if they have this competition. Well, as a wise man once said, it's difficult to gain a customer and you won't give them away again. Um, you, you know, if you try to win over a customer, you hold that's on a, for dear life. That's a core element. So uh, a manager working for a global uh, corporation doesn't care whether the uh, company burns down afterwards. He doesn't uh, care as long as he gets his wage his salary and he um, can then move on to the next corporate um, that's my own experience i used to work for a, a corporation in the past it's deutsche bank and they're interested in nothing but money but they pretend like everything happens in the interest of the customer right what about you i've been invited the second or third time it's always a great privilege i'm always delighted we're not done yet, Christian. Okay. Yeah, I, I had to smirk, you know, when you were speaking about the searches, etc. And, you know, the supervisory authority was just standing on our backyard and, you know, picked us apart and um, saying, you, look, you didn't comply with the rules. And then afterwards they turned around and said, oh, everything was fine. Sorry, we apologize. We tested our stuff everyone free of charge i mean nobody had to uh, queue in the um cold uh, pre-christmas uh, period and we uh, said well we don't care we're, we're a multicultural company anyway with lots of ethnicities etc and uh, um you know we never discriminated anyone uh, not muslims at breakfast not vaccinated versus unvaccinated so we tested people ourselves uh, early in the morning in order to convince people. Uh, also, after double-checking with the health authority, uh, we also checked the temperature. I could talk about donkey years, ages about corona, but I mean, we've got staff members who are vaccinated, but uh, they were ill over the past two or three months. Um, I mean, nobody fell ill out of the unvaccinated uh, staff. Uh, so they've got like moderate uh, conditions, but the unvaccinated uh, staff didn't have any issues. I had a summer flu, but that was not Corona, not much on Corona. Anyway, do you want me to continue with gas straight away? So what will we do? As a matter of fact, we were extremely successful. 2019, 2020 was a disaster. We lost an awful lot of money. And 2021, we increased our revenue by 46%. We recruited uh, people like, uh, you know, 
like crazy. Everybody says there's a staff sh uh, shortage of uh, skilled labor, but we have. We don't have that issue. And foundries, for instance, went bankrupt. One was relocated to Romania, two went bankrupt, and the staff are 40, 50 years of age, and maybe they only did Italia printing for 40 years. They printed punched holes, etc., and worked in the foundry. And of course, they were. that was skilled labor. They were delighted that we could give them a job. I think in 2020, 2021, we recruited 15 or 16 members of staff. And you, 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 you can work with them straight away. They're very skilled and uh, we could increase our revenue. What you said was very interesting, the hidden champions, and we have them in our city too. We have family uh, enterprises in our city for many generations of family-owned uh, business, uh, so electrical uh, industry, entertainment, uh, consumer entertainment, etc. And that's exactly the point. And if you can get customers through these hidden champions, then that's innovative. And then you can jointly develop, co-create the products with the customer. And that's tremendous fun. If they can see, okay, this is how it started with the first sketches, and then in the foundry, behind the foundry machine, and then the piece comes out. That's just so exciting. It's such a sexy feeling. Yeah. I, I can't help myself. I mean, I was always so much interested in that. And Foundry don't doesn't just need people, doesn't just take people uh, to work, but also energy, aluminium, of course. Uh, these are this is our biggest cost block. And then there's personnel, and then aluminium, and then energy. So number one personnel, then aluminium, and then energy. And energy. Uh, is invoiced with the metal markup, so we uh, use the metal base price. It's you get fluctuations. It's uh, traded at the stock exchange. We have an economic association for metals, and they issue the stock prices for metals every week. So uh, brass, copper, aluminium, zinc, what have you. So all of that is in these lists. And then we got the new government. And last December, uh, ben, uh, petrol, uh, diesel, gas, oil prices starting started getting volatile. I mean, that started in 2020, and then it really went uh, to an all-time high in December and January with the new government. And I said, look, we need to do something because we keep signing pluriannual contracts with uh, power and gas. We have our local providers. I'm not somebody who buys uh, cheapskate gas or Czech 24 gas. Uh, so uh, the uh, local Amazon and we use our local utility. Uh, they are part of Energy Group, uh, Lüdenscheid uh, utility. And then I got in touch with the head of uh, sales and the managing director, and they visited us. On the 3rd of February, they came to visit us uh, locally on site. And then the head of sales showed us flashy PowerPoints. And I said, oh, hold on. So he's, uh, you know, giving you the runaround. And so for more than one hour, he lectured and pontificated, talked about markets and power plants and wind chair and uh, hard coal and all these vessels go toing and froing in North Stream 1. And he was uh, doing this uh, uh, 
uh, monologue using the PowerPoints, and I said, "Look, let's talk with figures. Give me, give me some figures." And then he broke this down into figures, and he said, "Actually, I don't even dare say that. Now it, the price has tripled, and that was on the third of February." That was before the Ukrainian war. No, no, Ukraine was already there, but everybody was still where they belonged. And then he said, actually, I can I can also send it to you, what I told you, and all the LNG terminals, which ones shall be built, but there's one in the pipeline. But they're not allowed to build it because they're supposed to build it offshore because they can't get the onshore uh, certificate or license. And one terminal will be built, but not in Germany. Isn't there one in somewhere on the North Sea coast? Yes, but it's in the middle of the construction process, Wilhelmshaven, yes, it's very much work in progress, but they weren't allowed to build it onshore. Maybe it's also to do because of the explosive danger. So that's this liquid gas that's yes. supplied by the US because the Russians aren't supposed to deliver anymore because we don't want that. Yes, LNG, you can see it that way. Anyway. Uh, there is the option of uh, building that. I mean, authorities need to issue permits and to make sure that the associations don't um, file lawsuits because you've got seals and um, seagulls, etc., running around. Well, we've got hamsters under our bridge. Uh, scuba diving equipment now. Yeah, anyway. And then initially the plan was to build another one in Rostock. It wasn't possible because of the uh, depth, because they need a lot of uh, vertical depth, the LNG vessels. And now in Wilhelmshaven, it's being built whilst bypassing all permit procedures. And they were tremendously proud. They said 6,000 pages. And they said, well, if the Environmental Association is going to file a lawsuit, then it's not going to happen. And, you know, if you look at the German jurisdiction in terms of environmental protection, that it's got a sound reason. Yeah, that's the uh, killer argument always. Yes. And it was just sidelined, because then you just built offshore. Anyway, then in came the Ukraine war, ups and downs, ups and downs. For what period of time um, did he announce or predict that the price would be uh, three times? As of the signature of the new contract, next year we had to have a new contract. We would have had to have a new contract. We started early negotiations. And... Uh, I mean, we never ever started that early. Usually the negotiation period started in summer and then we uh, um, signed several uh, years of contracts. We don't want to act on the spot market when it comes to electricity because this is where it's prohibitively expensive anyway. When in came Ukraine, we got the first letters from a uh, foundry association which uh, lead time do you need in order to prepare your operation for a shortfall of gas? What are they expecting, a, a complete failure of gas supplies? Uh, as of the 20th of March, 22. I mean, that's all information that you get in 
and which products are being produced that are very important for the VA chain, value added chain, and a heat plan for the supply of households, uh, commercial customers, or social services. So we still have companies which still have um, corporate housing. Uh, so we've got a janitor living in our in a special home. Um, and this means that uh, you have certain socially responsible entrepreneurs who offer corporate flats and supply them with low-cost gas in order to make sure that people have a low-cost uh, accommodation and good uh, uh, energy prices. So this is how you act as a responsible entrepreneur. Can you keep switching on and off repeatedly? Well, that's an issue with us where we've got furnaces and you've got liquid metal in there. And last year when we had the high water uh, or the flood, uh, we were flooded and we only just may, uh, were able to cut the energy. So we had about uh, one foot um, water, but our staff acted excellent. I came back from Bangalore and was walking around in flip-flops with uh, in the evening. And once the, uh, the, the metal gets hard in the furnace, aluminum, glass, steel in the, in the furnace, once it freezes, this is what we call it, freezes at 500 degrees centigrade, then maybe you can try to melt it again. So if the delta T is not really that high, maybe you can try to unfreeze it to thaw it. So with a flood, it only just we manage only just only just one furnace uh, broke. So five uh, five thousand tons. So we're a tiny small uh, tiny foundry. If we get enough time to remove it, then that's a good thing. Uh, so I called the guy from the municipality and told him, please tell us one hour early if you have an outage. And he said, well, we, with you, we can jest, but you get 24 hours lead time. So if we had this kind of um, uh, situation, we would have 24 hours. So five tons would be then blocked. So, uh, so liquid uh, metal would then be put into banks and then it just freezes or solidifies. So you need to remove it. But it has to get out of the, the furnaces. furnaces. Yes, otherwise uh, the furnaces burst. And now with glass, it's even more difficult. You put glass powder in then, and then 3,500 degrees is heated, and you keep getting um, liquid, liquid gas. You need to remove it. You can't purge, you can't stop a glass furnace. Well, amazing uh, that you should be able to. Uh, uh, that they can indicate 24 hours before. Yeah, well, that's theory. Uh, power comes from the outlet and, and uh, gas comes from the tap. That's what I'm used to. You don't think about that sort of thing. How many hours uh, will the uh, wind power plants work or the PV um, systems per day? Of course, when it's dark, the PV systems don't work. But he all uh, noted it down in uh, great detail. It's uh, great. Why now? Is, is it bad weather? Well, why now? I don't know. Um, I, I think he was uh, he was advocating energy uh, turnaround. I have my doubts, really big doubts, that this is going to work out. I'm really uh, suspicious about it. I have a PV system on my uh, residence. We have a solar uh, 
thermal uh, solar system, um, hot water for the uh, washing machine, that's great. Uh, you can save a lot of energy that way. Um, wind generators, they make sense as well. But we need a backup plan B. If there's no wind, no sun shine, then there must be power stations that can kick in when it gets dark at night and there's no wind. So extreme case, winter, November, snow on the uh, PV systems, no wind, and it's cold as well. Uh, Russian uh, low uh, pressure system and we have no power anymore. So what's the rationale? What happened that suddenly now, I mean, it worked differently 40 years? Well, I only found out about about this by uh, my own research. All this gas uh, trade uh, was only uh, turned into a, uh, an exchange uh, a few years ago. Uh, gas didn't uh, used to be uh, traded on an exchange. It was licensed by the EU. I don't know the exact year, but it's quite obvious through these uh, big um, fluctuations. That's due to the uh, to the exchange the gas exchange, and he uh, gave me a lot of slides, energy markets, how volatile it all is. I can leave it off uh, for you. It's incredible. I'm just wondering why precisely now what happened? Is this a consequence of the alleged energy transition turnaround? Are part of the energy production switched off? Yeah, of course. Uh, three nuclear power stations were uh, de um, decommissioned last year and we're adding another three this year. Well, from the top down, they determined these uh, climate uh, uh, targets, these Paris targets, um, and we have to implement them now. All of us, together. The Austrians. So it doesn't really matter whether, you know, one or two companies go bust, or is it deliberate? Well, I, I'd say it's deliberate. Um, 1920 was bad. 2020 was bad. If 2023 becomes a, a rough year again, well, the margins that we make aren't all that big. We have in 2019, 2020, we had six-digit losses, and you don't uh, recover those immediately um, it takes time you can't do that overnight it takes you two to three years before you're back up again i um subsidized the, the company with private money my father and myself uh, invested private funds in order to uh, become credit worthy again with the banks you know these talks that you have to hold and then you hand in a balance sheet to the uh, federal um, bank, and they say, well, your balance sheet. And then I asked, like, what are the balance sheets of my competitors? And he said, same thing, horrible. It's just a tough market. You're wedged between aluminum and gas, uh, somewhere between these high costs and the customers we have. We have really excellent customers, very uh, understanding customers, but 60, 70% of aluminum uh, in Germany is used for the car industry. We don't have a single automotive uh, customer. We cooperate with such hidden champions or smaller uh, companies. We never had anything to do with the car industry. All my uh, colleagues from university that I know from Ireland, I still am in contact with them. They're somewhere in Germany or across the globe. They deal with the car industry and they know no pardon. 
Well, for instance, uh, one slide shows it. Maybe I can uh, uh, show it or we can skip it. Um, um, one slide is called insolvency. What does the uh, gas uh, compensation payment uh, mean and uh, trading in Europe? So that's the slide. It's a letter that I uh, wrote two weeks ago in order to show uh, well, Mr. Schweiger that I'm addressing there is a staff member of, of the Metal um, Working Association, so the uh, Industry Association Metal. And um, uh, the, the top um, link there is a foundry, a big foundry that went uh, insolvent in, at the end of June, I believe, end of July, end of June, I think. Uh, the company's called Brita Aluminium, um, and it was covered in the press. Um, that was a, um, uh, they had a big automotive customer who weren't willing to um, pay a surcharge. And they said, okay, if we continue uh, like that, uh, we can't survive. And then they said, okay, well, then we have to uh, close down. Let's just uh, read out um, here. Not everybody can see this. Mr. Schweiger, we wrote to all our customers, and as of the 1st of the, uh, October, we announced an energy markup. Uh, so we got very low feedback for uh, to these letters. Everybody seems to be aware of the severity and that this uh, affects everyone, just not the super rich and the politicians. A large foundry whose energy uh, customer didn't want to pay the markup of fight for and so recently. Now you said you have such a good relationship with your customers. Well, it's the way it is. Now, if you read the, the second part, um, um, when they uh, announced um, their insolvency, then the customer was willing to uh, pay what they asked for. So this uh, request was just fired. They uh, fight for insolvency, but they withdraw again. No, no, no. The uh, foundry uh, is insolvent, but the customer found that they um, this customer is um, um, uh, the, the supplier is essential for them. And the next topic is innovation. For one of our customers, uh, we made a quote last week uh, with a uh, price for the item of 20 euro 50 and a metal um, price surcharge. And we also had to introduce a energy surcharge. So uh, the products that we sell beginning October, 1st of uh, October, that's what I wrote, we will have to indicate an energy surcharge, otherwise we can't continue. And if you calculate this, in the past, uh, we were at 20 euro 50 plus 50 cent would have been 21 euro. Now the energy um, inflation surcharge adds 3 euro 17. So that's 15 percent. That's an extra 15 percent, yes. And then a new item, uh, innovation made in Germany, will be difficult. Of course, uh, there's Italians who do um, uh, casts, uh, metal products, uh, Chinese, Turks, etc. And we, we compete with all sorts of companies, and this really hurts us. We have to buy our gas somewhere. Now, uh, did gas become that much more expensive for everyone else, or is it uh, the same for everyone, and it won't be subsidized uh, by other states, Turkey, etc.? I don't know. Um, um, 
Well, gas, uh, the, the price hike through gas, and that's also uh, triggered by the exchange system, the gas exchange. Here, uh, this article in the Anti-Spiegel, uh, what does the um, gas um, compensation payment mean? And the biggest um, problem is this. We can now fill uh, the storages, and that's in, on the news every week, every day, really. Uh, our Minister of uh, the Economy has the interim goal of uh, filling uh, the uh, storage tanks to 75%, um, and they're supposed to be uh, reached by the 1st of September, now the 12th of August. And uh, sometime this weekend, we'll hear, hooray, hooray, uh, we've reached that uh, goal before the 1st of September. But at what price? Because he's buying now the report published in Focus magazine. How he uh, saves the system from collapse? Of course, we're buying gas, but we're buying gas for 100 million euro per day to fill these uh, storage tanks. He buys it from the Dutch, from the uh, Belgians, via the LNG terminals, from, and Norway uh, delivers. There are two pipelines from uh, Norway, one arriving in Dornum, the other in Emden, in North Germany. And they, um, this is all taken to storage, so that they are filled up fast, of course, once they're full. Then you can um, go into the winter with a bit more calm. So Netherlands, Belgium, what else? Holland um, and Belgium. Completely excessive prices. The price for gas is so high right now. It pays off very well, very nicely for salespersons. Yes, and what's interesting is this company that was established when I first read it uh, a year ago, I, I think. It was established in 2021. Trading Hope Europe, uh, beautiful German name. Um, established in Ratingen, um, established in 2021. And uh, they were um, insured with uh, 15 billion. So they can buy up to 15 billion euro worth of gas and they're burn, uh, buying up to 100 million a day with our money. And that's the federal government who established it. Is it possible that they're throwing money deliberately out in order to destroy the SME backbone? Well, that's obvious. Like, we'll have the gas uh, levy uh, in October. Didn't you hear about it? I can't imagine that. It's so frightening, so frightening. Now, we're, we went one level higher, um, um, or we, we jumped ahead of ourselves a bit there. Now, let me go back again. We need the slides, um, the first slides that I really wanted to show first. Forecast on uh, storage tank um, filling levels, three slides. Can you please show them? Now, trading up Europe, is. does this belong to the German government? No, 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 it's a limited company, a GmbH. That's always the way it is done. On the 24th of June, uh, before I went on holiday, there was a Zoom call of our uh, metalworking uh, association, um, WVM Metal. And those are the graphs that uh, the uh, Minister of the Economy, Habeck, uh, published uh, the Friday before, uh, I think the 24th of uh, June. 
and it shows quite clearly these targets, these uh, three red dots. Mr. Habeck added a fourth red dot. That's the 1st of September now. 1st of September, target 75%. That was never the target before. Um, because in previous years, the storage tanks were never as full as they are today at this time of the year. And now his target has been um, increased to 85%. Uh, as per 1st of October, it used to be 80, and he put it to 85. And the target that used to be 90, he hiked it to 95%. So he just decided to do that. And they're putting so much gas into those gas storage tanks in order to fill them. For whatever reason, why is there such a hurry? And the interesting thing, um, I only... Uh, so they're throwing money out of the window. I mean, now Minister of the Economy, Mr. Habeck, why does he do that? Image? Mm. Is the image? Uh, should he have continued to, read, to write children's books? I think it'll be dangerous for him if he doesn't make the gas reserves available and um, spending money is easy. Um, with our money, Habeck's safety is bought. He buys, with our money, he um, buys. I, I think it's uh, horrible that Germany has destroyed these long-term contracts with Russia. I think the population doesn't realize what it means to get cheap energy uh, for industry. Without this energy, we can't exist as an economic location. If you dis um, deprive yourself of this card, I, I don't understand this. This is nearly criminal to do that sort of thing because it leads to the demise of industry from the smallest to the largest uh, company. And it couldn't be otherwise than to buy it now at excessive prices. That means that we'll lack the money elsewhere down the road. They're spending the our children's money. We can't pay it back anymore. That's a children's money that's being spent there. You know what Germany had? Germany never used to be a country with natural resources. That's what we learned in Geography 101. And Russia is a country and America has resources. Russia has extremely many resources, natural resources. Our know-how as hidden champions consists in harnessing our creativity. So, um, turning commodities into something better, so turning iron into steel or cheap aluminum into something more noble, etc. This is our know-how, our intrinsic know-how, our education uh, resides in our schools, children and universities. And uh, from vocational training, I mean, nobody, nobody in Germany wants to go through the German uh, sandwich vocational training system anymore. Maybe it's different with you. Well, we have companies that really push this and, uh, well, uh, trainee um, positions, everybody benefits from it. So they do a lot to uh, keep the image of occupations, uh, trained occupations, very high. 
Well, it's not necessarily on the demise, but it was definitely not pushed as much as in Austria. Maybe you're a tiny bit more conservative, more fond of tradition. Well, in Lüdenscheid, we're a traditional metalworkers district. You know, lights, uh, foundries, um, forgeries, etc. So they thrive on good skilled labor, and if no students then come to from the schools to um, to the companies and want to become, for instance, milling specialists, etc., then then that's the end of the tether. I always like to call a spade a spade. Uh, this axis, Central Europe, where we have incredible know-how in production, in process technology, in innovation, paired with the Russian uh, resources, we would have incredible power in uh, Rio Asia and full employment uh, for decades until uh, Russia reaches this level of know-how that we have now. And if we support them in this, and they support us with cheap uh, energy, then we have a an economic situation. We can really uh, make the cork pop. But I think uh, there are, of course, uh, circles in the world that try to prevent that. I, uh, maybe that's uh, uh, well, fantastic. Definitely, but they try to prevent that. It's competition. But I think here it's different. Here. It's obvious that parts of this extremely important, extremely independent, extremely creative industry is being destroyed. And they deliberately try to put a wedge between us and the Russians. Well, at least this is the kind of impression that you might get. Five days ago, I had a, a very major customer. Um, uh, recently, I had a customer, a big customer, I won't give the name, out of five days, they had to close down for four days because they didn't have the uh, raw materials anymore. The damage is uh, unbelievable. It's not a small company I'm talking about. Well, we can have a look at these trajectories. Here we have different scenarios. That's what they were called. I can make these charts available. And if you look at the blue chart, that's the most optimistic scenario. And the most optimistic scenario, the most bullish scenario, is only possible if and when. So, scenario 1.1, if there's a reduction of exports, so that is the gas which we still get. Still being exported, that means that we also hand out our gas to third parties, third countries in Europe, because we have contractual obligations. Germany is a big hub, uh, distributed, maybe it's sent to Poland, to the Czech Republic, etc. That means the blue scenario could only be met if we no longer export anything virtually nil. What if we don't produce, we don't need as much gas either? So I can tell you this much what's happening right now. So we're buying safety or security that we have full storages and that we don't need to freeze. I think the government is terribly afraid of a situation where, you know, come winter and autumn, we don't know whether winter is going to be harsh, that people will freeze. And this is why they absolutely spend every buck on making this chocolate block full. I think they're also afraid that more and more people wake up, do, start doing research and find that things aren't uh, going uh, logically here because with huge amounts of money, they can compensate for it. Yes, exactly. And you know, 
it's also got this kind of element these uh, you know icu beds etc and if you reduce it to the available 60 percent then you reach the capacity utilization very quickly and if you get it's got the same scenario here so if you keep raising the bar then you get panic if it stays below that but that's an official slide shown by uh, Halleck himself um, published by the federal network agency so this slide we can skip it now the next one please this is the uh, main findings uh, summarized. Only in scenario 1.1, the um, storage filling uh, levels targeted will uh, be uh, sort of reached. In the others, uh, other scenarios, that will not be possible. Only uh, with the scenario with the blue line that we saw earlier with the red dots, uh, only that will reach the targets. All the others, scenario 1.2, 2.2, 2.2, 2.2, 1.2, there's only a question of when uh, will we start freezing? Will it happen in February or as early as December? Well, you know, we've got two foot problem right now. We are buying much too expensive. That means the consumer is going to have to foot the bill a couple of hundred uh, bucks more, maybe even more. And uh, secondly, uh, we also need to point out that the political sanctions uh, backfire. It's like a boomerang. It's going to backfire big time on us. And this is why we re it really makes you wonder, for whom do these politicians work? Do they work for us or for who else? I have no idea, because I don't believe they work uh, for us, because that's what's coming next, this levy, this gas levy. For the one hand, um, uh, at this Zoom meeting, there were people present, uh, paper factories, chemical industry, copper working industry. They uh, consume 10 times as much power as we do. There were people there, um, it was unbelievable what, when they uh, indicated what's happening to them. But uh, using gas as a fuel for uh, power production, it's not uh, only in the power stations, but uh, refineries, BSF, for instance. Uh, BSF consumes as much gas as Denmark as a country. I didn't know, but that's the kind of thing you hear there. All this energy, all the, the uh, efficiency of these uh, power stations is so high. It's not only firing the gas to generate uh, power, but also the uh, off-heat is used for processes in the uh, chemical industry, the paper industry, etc. If you have a power station that um, um, gets its own gas and uh, put it into your uh, furnaces, you can simply swap to coal um, and uh, you get a few truckloads of, uh, uh, of coal and somebody uh, shows them in. No. To switch all of that can't be done overnight. We're burning gas to generate power, but we also use the off-heat as process heat for heating households, for industrial processes, etc. So on the one hand, the possibility was uh, mentioned that some uh, companies might be uh, labeled essential, and I contacted uh, three customers of ours already um, who make medical technology, etc., so that they send us, uh, give us a, a letter um, 
you shall be released from prison, whatever, you know, um, that, that we are, that they are essential and we're essential with them. But what I really find unbelievable, levy on the gas price, uh, beginning 1st of October, possibly 1st of November, the gas importers will be allowed to um, charge increased um, purchasing prices that we just mentioned to the consumer. That's uh, what the government states. The gas suppliers can charge their customers 90% of the excess cost of uh, purchasing gas. There's a great word for this. You need to remember that. This is supposed to be achieved uh, through a rolling mechanism, i.e. a levy on the gas price inspired by the uh, electricity surcharge. The cost of uh, gas uh, purchasing will be rolled out to all uh, consumers. So rolling mechanism, you'll have to remember that, difficult for an Austrian, but you'll manage. So I can't really uh, take a piss at this anymore because it not only affects us companies, it also affects um, old age pensioners, the municipalities, hospitals, old age uh, nursing homes, schools, or won't they be rolled over, steamrollered? And these are figures that we get from our associations. It's really good that we get this. So you had this Zoom conference and you also described the fact that you had entrepreneurs uh, at the table who have clearly need more energy than you. They must be shell-shocked, shell they must be panicking. I was uh, participating uh, for the first time because it was such a small company, um, so I didn't want to uh, uh, expose myself like that. Um, I wrote to them that, uh, that I'm surprised that so few people say something about it, that they all say, okay, okay we'll uh, try to make to do what we can we'll go along with this and then i got a, got the feedback that that um, things are getting more shall we say uh, getting more lively because what we pay extra um, we're talking about an extra million euro uh, worth of cost next year so six million, just under six million, million has been our um, previous bill. An extra million for energy. For 400 tons that we make per year, that's a surcharge of two euro fifty. And we'll have to pass that on, of course, this surcharge. And um, they always say you have to save money, uh, save energy. Uh, of course, we're not at the, uh, three times the price, we're at four times the price by now. If I pay four times as much than I uh, paid before and I save 50% uh, um, because I, uh, for whatever, however I manage, I still pay twice as much. So I pay four times as much per unit, but I only need half the units. Then uh, what it means is I sell less and I have higher costs. So that means uh, our co-competitors just waiting for us to become weaker. We're not working in a protected habitat. We are working in the uh, competitive arena. 
and we want to sell stuff to our customers so you don't need to do a genius and mass this is going to create a spate of uh, insolvencies next year so alone this the power uh, bill is half a million for our companies next year and who will have half a million profit or that many reserves to just uh, or provisions to just um, you know, paid out of uh, small pocket, etc. And now the problem is, uh, you know, we're not living in splendid isolation. People are already preying on us. But the gentlemen uh, don't seem to understand this. How come, from your point of view, we had a few entrepreneurs here, you're not the only ones. How come that German entrepreneurs are so docile, um, as it were? just going along rather than fighting back, uh, even though you seem to fight back. Well, we don't put up a fight that much. I mean, and so, I mean, uh, we're talking Corona energy, it's different. I mean, um, with energy, we say where we've got hydropower plant and we can uh, um, cover our energy demand ourselves. How come we pay high prices? But it's to do with the fact that many people with Corona jumped the bandwagon of the narrative, were seduced, and now uh, they can't get away from that again. And in that area, because they know that they were um, uh, that the ones who fought against it they were really slagged off and nobody wants to put up with that and it, now they see the same danger uh, on the horizon and therefore they adopt a low profile and they don't stick their head out of the window they hope for somebody else to do that many are of course in cahoots with the huge corporates and they'll um, exert pressure this uh, um, automotive manufacturer near Stuttgart and the foundry, they kept um, um, depressing the prices. Um, uh, yeah, until they draw blood. So more people have to ask that question, where are we um, headed? But then, of course, there'll be a um, price hike, a wage hike uh, this year. Uh, the unions will get a price hike, uh, the, the steel workers got six percent okay the few uh, steel workers the few foundries that we have in germany if these people get a decent wage doesn't uh, uh, well then they go bankrupt anyway so from the uh, metal workers union this year i expect a five percent increase um, that'll hurt us of course but if i see so let me just um, chip in here. So they really deserve it. So actually they would deserve it even more, but that would additionally mean that, uh, you know, the blow of death for companies and then all companies would go bankrupt because the ones who uh, um, will be released from the insolvencies, well, you know, no government can uh, put up with that. I mean, just think about uh, the kind of unemployment that results from the steel industry. So what's the situation if uh, the things that we've exposed, Wolfgang, myself, um, Martin as a, a legal advisor and Wolfgang as a medical advisor, if we take a look at the overall picture that we've learned here, because we started, to get some um, insights into um, certain aspects that we're not getting from our politicians or our mainstream media. If we take a look at the overall picture, then the impression uh, arises that with Corona, we were only looking at a small part of a wider uh, program, an agenda that was not created by 
corona but where corona was used and to cut it uh, very shortly my impression is that this crisis has been artificially created we know that pcr test can't deliver anywhere near what uh, mr drossen or the who claim that this crisis was created particularly for the express purpose of destroying you so that the platform economies can take over everything and for the express purpose of controlling people by putting so much pressure on them that they will accept any command at the end of the day. That, however, I believe most entrepreneurs in Germany or Austria don't realize, do they? Well, they're having a difficult time with this notion. And I don't want to protect them but uh, um, or defend them, but I felt the same. I tried to prove to myself doing my own research that this was wrong. And every time I was uh, admired even deeper and I couldn't believe my eyes. But I mean, this process, if you went through it yourself, then it's difficult to accept. So it took me more than six months to actually wake up to the facts. I just couldn't believe it. I thought, well, this can't be, this cannot be. I kept researching and I got more into Endorsement. And I think that's a process you can't short track. And uh, therefore, a couple of entrepreneurs will have a difficult time, provided they've been seduced, if they su subscribe to the narrative, now they need to jump ship. That's terribly challenging. It's going to take a lot of time. Psychological issue, time is uh, of the essence. Um, well, yes. This is worse than Corona. Yes, but it's part of the entire agenda. Well, this, uh, for those people who are already um, diseased from, from Corona, they uh, will be finished off, the um, elderly employees, gas levy uh, will apply to everybody, not only uh, to politicians and the super-rich, no. Well, this way we burn that much money in our eyes, you know, in vain with all that corona stuff, that we no longer have any provisions anymore. I mean, something that the state would have to set up um, in order to help out if a real crisis cropped up. Uh, this is not a real crisis. It's an orchestrated crisis now with the gas. We don't have the funds because we splundered the money because of lots of funny corona measures or restrictions. Now we don't have the savings in order to help those people who suffer from it very severely. At least this is my concern. When you consider that uh, on a daily basis they're burning 100 million, 80 million, 100 million a day, so after a couple of weeks you're destroyed 1.5 billion. Yes, um, billions. Real values, yeah, and they were given 15 billion, so after 100 days that money is gone. Well, or maybe they start printing the money without uh, having any kind of counter value. Uh, we could almost see this because the housing crisis didn't take too long. Nothing was done. There was a lot of lip service done by politicians. The sums were going to hold them responsible, etc. But nothing happened. They just uh, started printing money. Now, this time it didn't take 25 years until the next crisis. 2019, it was over again. So with the repo crisis, banks stopped lending money to each other. The Fed kept printing the money and made it available to the banks in order to preempt the worst. But this is, again, just procrastination. Unless the entrepreneur 
ones get up who have the power and we are the only ones who have the power and the backbone and the boards uh, uh, the backbone of our, your and ours and the Swiss economy and probably everywhere in the Western Hemisphere. So unless the entrepreneurs get up and make a firm stand, it's going to get really a close shave. Well, the price increase in energy is uh, cannot be overstated. We have to pass it on to our customers. The customers will have to pass it on and the end consumer will have to pay it. That's then called inflation or whatever. But it always keeps going up, up, up. I think it, all of this is to no avail if we could just uh, if we just shed uh, the spotlight onto individual anecdotal issues. We need to take a look at the broader picture. I keep saying this. You can't say this to tell this to somebody who's completely novice in this area. But I mean, here you need to tell people it's about the survival, about the economic survival and their physical existence. Unless you know this, you won't take the right decision. I spoke to an excellent lawyer in New York. She spoke, she worked, used to work for a major firm uh, in New York. So she is really one of the top notch uh, lawyers uh, in the US anyway. And uh, I asked her, do you know why all of this was created? and I tried to explain to her what we found out in the committee and she became paler and paler. My wife saw it from the background and I said, look, I'm uh, overtaxing you, but anyway, I'm going to write it down for you. I'm going to prepare a video for you. But I think I am firmly going to believe this needs to be understood unless people understand this pivotal link. You will never be able to take the right decisions. You just think, oh, well, we just need to convince a couple of politicians as this is out of proportion that it's rubbish to reject Russian deliveries uh, from of, on, on political grounds, nothing else is behind it. And at the end, uh, the German poly, uh, population and the worldwide population is put under pressure. But you can only understand this if you take a look at the broader picture. And I do understand that it's tremendously difficult to um, translate this for people who are actually just waking up to the real facts as was on the phone to a politician, so we are the, Viviana and myself are the double, double spearhead of the passes. And uh, he said, well, peace is very important and um, the buzzword with which you can very uh, always work. But he also saw our topic and he said, actually, this is something we can't get across to people. So these are very, um, you know, challenging theories. Now, of course, you can drag your heels until the body count resolves the issue by itself or by default. And then, then only then will people wake up. But by then, quite a lot of things will have gone broken. I said at the beginning, if I'd heard myself talking two years ago of, of what I uh, said, uh, what I'm saying now, but after so many uh, hours of research, you have a different uh, knowledge base, and it's really normal. And unfortunately, we can't expect the large number of entrepreneurs to have the time. They don't have any time for that. They have to save their companies. They don't have the time to uh, do this research work like we do in this intensive way we do it. But if you don't have this base, well, then it's difficult because they're all busy keeping their companies going and to prepare them for these energy problems. They don't want to hear about it now. They want to focus on their personal problems. That's understandable. But how can we get this sorted that the masses can uh, catch up on this information? That's a Herculean task. It's a psychological problem, too. 
Yes, and for many people, uh, this will mean the breakdown of the world. I mean, somebody who is 85 years old who believes in public broadcasters and who believes in the public news and um, they think uh, politicians are the best people in the world and they won't be able to convince, uh, to be convinced every night that um, exactly the opposite is correct. Yeah, that's the uh, madness that uh, Meredith Miller pointed out to us, this abuse. Uh, um, we always used to think that uh, government's uh, supporters, uh, that they support entrepreneurs, etc., that that's not the primary goal for them, obviously, or at least they're doing some counterproductive things. And this is really uh, very painful to realize. So I had to wake up results or wake up calls or so and then, um, you know, but if you don't have that, um, then you don't have these wake up calls and then which make you take a closer look and you don't, don't do that. And that's exactly what they bank on. I don't know. That's interesting, yes. What what happened with us? That's the last topic I wanted to mention. Uh, then we're done with this. Well, we're not done with this. Um, that is something that everybody should take a look at. This uh, rolling mechanism is something that we, citizens in Germany, will have to face. That will uh, something that everybody will feel in their uh, private wallets. We're being prepared for this, and it will start in October, maybe in September, but I think it'll happen in October. Well, yesterday I couldn't uh, um, come yet because in Ludenscheid we have a bridge that is um, blocked for traffic. We have a detour. Um, um, uh, the Queen of Motorways um, that you used yesterday um, has 60 uh, bridges. They used to be maintained. Um, the Comp uh, states were competent, Bavaria, North Westphalia, Hesse, etc. And then things were restructured, and all the uh, bridge inspections um, that need to be done may or may not be done. In the past, that was done by um, the state. Um, now, a company was established. Um, uh, it's called uh, Autobahn, GmB, Autobahn uh, GmbH, established in 2020, 2021, here in Berlin. And they look at these things. They're called Autobahn GmbH. And they're responsible for this now, uh, for organizing new builds, um, bridge inspections, etc. There um, to do that in the future. Now, what happened with us last year? We had the floods uh, last year, uh, which was a disaster. Then we had a bridge inspection. There were bridge books. Every uh, bridge has a book to go with it in Germany. How could it be otherwise? And um, there's a small inspection every three years, a major one every six years. So. Uh, they uh, may make inspections with a, with a little hammer or uh, have sensor uh, tests. And there's a new measuring uh, scheme now, and that was applied uh, half a year ago for the first time um, uh, on a bridge um, that uh, was um, undermined by this flood. All of a sudden, it was suddenly declared a total wreck so that all the traffic that flows north to south from Dortmund to Frankfurt, for instance, 
They all have to go through the city of Lüdenscheid. It used to be 20,000 trucks a day, maybe even more. And our we have a pretty hilly uh, city, and so it goes up and down, and all these trucks crawl through our city. Construction in Germany takes a while. We're not in Genoa or in China, we're in Germany. And yesterday after, well, the new government has been in charge since, what, uh, 9th of December? I think that's the uh, when they first um, convened. Now, the first time yesterday, um, the federal transport minister uh, came to Lüdenscheid for the first time, Mr. Wissing, and we um, met him with the um, grassroots uh, initiative. Maybe you can show their brochure. This um, grassroots initiative, uh, Lüdenscheid is a blue-collar worker uh, city. Uh, a lot of people, um, travelers from a far afield as the rural area to Lüdenscheid, maybe the uh, flip side, maybe you can hand out this uh, or uh, pass around this flyer. All of this traffic goes through our city now. And sometimes people who have to come from Dortmund, uh, teachers, uh, nurses, um, etc., they are in uh, caught in traffic jams for an hour in the morning, an hour in the evening. All of the laws and all of these uh, ordinances, they're so difficult uh, to implement that an optimistic judgment is that the new bridge will be built, um, will be finished, open for traffic five years from now. But we were told that back in December of last year. Uh, at that time, I um, spoke out and I asked, um, but that was obviously the wrong thing to do. I wrote to the um, transport minister in North Westphalia that he may uh, please uh, take a look at um, this uh, bridge book. I um, contacted him again and again, um, never got an answer. And at the beginning of June, there was an assembly um, in the city of Lüdenscheid. And I had met the right person there, a regional director, obviously. I was told that I would get the copies or that I will get the right to take a look at the abridged books because I wanted to understand what happened there. Uh, and this, uh, it's incredible how long this takes before the authorities uh, respond. By the way, uh, they didn't do what applies to the LNG uh, terminal in Wilhelmshaven that um, environmental uh, requirements are um, sidelined. Um, we have the so-called hazelmouse in our region. And back in 2016, um, the last hazelmouse was found under this uh, very bridge. Um, sorry, the last time they found one under this bridge was in 2016. So all the um, preparation work to demolish the existing bridge could only start in May. We have bats as well, and they uh, relocated them, they made a new habitat available for them. To make it clear, Axel, nobody is in favor of destroying uh, the habitats of these animals. Nobody wants that. But we can't help but feel that this is all artificially created, that they um, claim that something is in the way so that 
this situation that this flyer is talking about takes as long as possible. Destabilization, disinformation of the um, population. We are the third strongest uh, industrial region in Germany. It's uh, the third uh, strongest industrial region in Germany with metal industry. And that's on top of that. Uh, well, we haven't um, survived all the consequences of the um, uh, flood. Now, the energy crisis and this on top for Lüdenscheid for metalworking and metal is in every car. Electronics, it's all um, ubiquitous. And so uh, with this grassroots movement, Mr. Uh, Mr. Wissing, the transport minister, had to listen to a lot of uh, things. And he only came uh, to visit us uh, after half a year. We uh, found that a bit uh, deplorable. Even though he is not competent, the mistakes were made by others before him. Yes, Federal Transport Minister. So, that's why I couldn't come uh, here yesterday. We had to meet him yesterday. So, I, um, I like to be in Berlin. It's a nice city, but um, um, on the other end, I'm also uh, happy when I leave it again because I, I think I'm a rural guy. But it's nice to eat a bit of curry sausage uh, once in a while. So that's the story I had to tell. Um, thanks for allowing me to say this. We will fight back in Lüdenscheid. Uh, we are uh, a quite defensive uh, little um, tribe, and we want to stop night traffic because it all goes through our city. And for inhabitants, that is a disaster, an absolute disaster. Well, you can imagine well, you said one hour in, one hour out, so in terms of commuting. And that's going to take five more years. Well, then, yes, one lane will be ready then. Optimistically speaking, I'm always an optimist. I'm, let's say five years from now. Well, that's um, bureaucracy and years of um, failure to, to do their job. I mean, we've been paying our taxes, as did you. What happened with all this money? Why aren't there any plans to have detours when walls uh, crumble? We have 60 bridges. This one is a, um, a total wreck now. When will the next one be declared so a total wreck? what we know right now, only a fraction of our taxes are actually serve ourselves. And in the background, there's lots of other people earning lots of money with our taxes. But anyway, what are your expectations for autumn in Austria? I don't know, in terms of energy, um, well, we have a couple of, uh, well, a couple of enterprises which need a lot of energy, that will be an issue, uh, but on the whole, maybe it won't be such a, a dire scenario, because some people will wake up, but the waking up uh, process will be painful, and they will try to protect themselves and therefore refrain from waking up. So, therefore, I really think it's very critical, uh, you know, uh, to understand that people will probably drag their heels on waking up. And I'm not that confident, I'm not that optimistic. 
So I really racked my brain, what can we do, what can we do? But as a matter of fact, my hands are tied. I mean, I'm hamstrung. And I don't know what I could do in order to shore up jobs if all of this uh, really hits home. I mean, it's not that uh, entertaining if you really try to make sure th throughout your entire life uh, that it works well, that you get quality, etc. Do you see a um, decrease in order intake? No, well, we've got very innovative products, high demand, but uh, we indeed do have a problem in terms of skilled labor in for Alberg. We have excellent champions, excellent uh, companies, and uh, in for Alberg, the skilled labor shortage is massive. We have big, big problems here. Which is an obstacle to you. And now we're getting flack from both sides. Uh, so one aspect, one issue, one challenge is uh, that we have uh, not enough staff and we have low performance amongst the younger generation, then wages are going to increase. And then the energy costs are going to come up, uh, to, to, to go up, and uh, that's going to be a tightrope act. Well, as an entrepreneur, you're used to be creative and to respond in appropriate way to um, each situation if you have uh, the necessary knowledge. There's a song by Jump, is his name, by Van Halen, Roll with the Punches. But you have to have the appropriate knowledge, and if the uh, knowledge speed, um, as you call it, is slow, then the damage that you want to avoid, uh, that you have to fix afterwards, uh, gets worse and worse, and the, the, the problem keeps piling I up. I feel sorry for the staff, I mean, our members of staff, I mean, apart from vaccination, poor lads, well, it was, uh, everybody was to, supposed to decide for themselves what they want to do in, my, in our company, in our company. Everybody was, could do whatever they wanted to. We deliberately didn't pressurize them. But uh, what we're seeing right now in terms of uh, inflation for food, gas, petrol, um, heating, etc., you like, you know, uh, uh, let's go on a happy holiday this summer and then it's going to backfire big time at the end of the year. So, for, especially for the members of staff who don't earn as much money as I do. Um, as a managing director, I feel sorry. I mean, suddenly they have to pay three times the energy as a levy for power, gas, and energy, uh, water. And then that's why there's uh, this big risk that I'm not looking at the base, where is it coming from, but that I'm uh, presented with a scapegoat. And then um, every, everybody's hatred is targeted at them. So we have to really look at what's yeah. where does it come from and what do we need to do um, so that the gas exchange, as I heard, could be something that we can do. But if we take it to a certain point and then we need a scapegoat, uh, goat, and if you get a scapegoat there, then for uh, the population as a whole, it is easier to focus on that scapegoat, because then I don't have to do anything. I don't have to catch up at my own um, failures. And that's the dangerous thing. That's the only thing that I can actually change is myself. I really think that's a problem. 
Yeah, and the big issue is, uh, you know, I spoke to one entrepreneur and he has a big uh, company, 1,500 members of staff, so huge, not a multinational company, but quite large. And he thought, well, actually, it's going to work out eventually, so we've got enough money. But what happens if suddenly money is going to be switched because it's broken because of both our currencies, both the dollar and the euro? So we heard it from the experts whom we had here. Uh, is uh, over-indebted, and uh, what happens if we get a digital currency and if the money which sits on your bank account is is no longer worth anything? I mean, these are kind of developments which at least you need to try and understand um, and um, identify and please uh, understand, or at least understand. But you're exactly right. So if you're only looking for scapegoats, uh, finger-pointing, you're always looking into one direction whilst the enemy is really somewhere else. I'm happy that I started looking into the uh, energy uh, question this early in the uh, in the year, and uh, I wanted to know everybody that uh, this predates the Ukrainian war, that all these things started before that, and the energy price increases come from speculators. A lot of people earn a lot of money now, and the citizens have to pay for it, and that is where things are totally wrong. So there's quite a lot in the offing here, uh, unfortunately. I think hardly anywhere will we be prepared uh, in terms of uh, the overall ratio. I thought uh, entrepreneurs will be more amongst them. But uh, first of all, they need to be informed. They need to uh, wake up. The question is, how can I prepare? That is the big problem. How can I do that? That's the big challenge. Well, basically, you can only prepare yourself by one thing, by learning as much as possible and informing as many colleagues or peers as possible and jointly stand up. That's the only way out. It's like the plank uh, image. You know this. As soon as we leave the plank, that's the end of the story. As soon as we say, well, we leave the game, that's the end of the story. And we still have to do an awful lot of repairing. But having said that, unhindered, unimpeded, because the, if the idiots who brought us to the brink will be will jump over uh, the brink, uh, I mean, it's much easier. So, so we won't be ruled by idiots anymore who have no idea and are better uh, advised to write children's books. And what's really uh, important is that. Um, people's awareness regionality is coming back. Um, we can have exports and corporations, but we need to be independent. If we believe that we need to uh, make ele um, electro uh, motors and um, rare earths, um, we can't do them without Russia and China, then that's wrong. We need to decrease those dependencies and um, get a, a natural balance back. And um, I uh, used to say another five years, t uh, another 15 years, then we'll have uh, paradise on earth. But uh, poverty has reduced, uh, has been reduced dramatically since Corona. But maybe we're not there yet. Maybe we have to turn another, give another lap um, in order to uh, garner this uh, knowledge. Um, but I'd like to uh, live to see it. So how old are you? Uh, well, 
So we need to have a plan, and we will have a plan, well, and we'll work on it. But to expose this, this is really key to everything. Without knowledge, we can't respond uh, appropriately. And I'm very happy that the two of you are two vocal, very vocal representatives of this knowledge, because I know that your efforts have um, pushed this. You were the driving force between, uh, behind Einheit AT, and for nearly 9,000 people to get together, uh, companies, I'm sorry, that's what I mean. Yeah, individual companies. So that's important that the world understand this, because it is the entrepreneurs that we need to rely on. Uh, it's not just about entrepreneurs. Uh, the, I, I want to say something else that's positive. Suddenly, friendships uh, emerge. I mean, we guys would never have met. I would never have dared to ring you. So suddenly, we've got friendships and people whom you can really rely on. And also in the Einheit, I've got uh, entrepreneurs standing and keeping my back, and we cooperate, and that's wonderful. So we should really harness this energy and grow it. We shouldn't prevent it or allow people to prevent it. Can you remember the old um, Western series Bonanza? As um, it was sometimes a bit daft. Uh, as a child, you don't want to see those love stories. But when uh, it came to the crunch, they always walked side by uh, shoulder by shoulder, um, the four of them, and you knew. Uh, they won't, they'll stand together. Anything missing? It was great, uh, super. Yeah, we have to stick together. Yeah, the company is everyone. So with everything that happened, we need to continue. And we need to make sure we get people on board and that they understand what we did and or what was done. And uh, we need to help people who were vaccinated and who now need assistance. So don't need to hug them. You just need to give them a hand up. Well, if you see someone who's helpless, you don't um, walk by. Anything else will be inhumane. That's where they want to get us, but they won't manage. Right. Good. A positive conclusion. Well preliminary conclusion, but there's more to come. Anyway, we'll um, stay in contact. Thank you very much for coming. And yet a new contact again. That's helpful as well. So thanks again. We'll uh, speak again later on. And then we'll uh, look at the next topic, the topic of masks, because it is something that has slipped up the agenda again to the very tippity top of the agenda again. Um, because our politicians, maybe they're the politicians on the other side, because our politicians already know that the fall will be quite dramatic and beginning 1st of October, masks have to be worn left, right and center again. That's uh, the health minister's view anyway here in Germany. First of all, what's it based on? Maybe there are crystal balls that can show you exactly when which virus will be how uh, dangerous. And secondly, uh, what is the benefit of it all? So for this, we have the private lecturer, Dr. Josef Thoma. We'll uh, speak again. Now I'll see if I can find them.
Hast du uh, auch Abbildung? Do you have any um, pictures to show? I've got video clip afterwards. And then after the clip, we can all go home, if you see it. So that's all said then. Right, well then, let's uh, do this. Maybe uh, to start with, we're now speaking with uh, private lecturer Dr. Josef Thoma, a specialist for ear, nose and throat medicine with a practice here in Berlin. The topic um, will be who is not allowed to wear a mask. It's about insights into the everyday life of mask-exempt patients, generally about the concept of disease, about the necessity of relationship of trust between doctor and patient with regard to the patient's descriptions, which must always complement a competent objective examination, disease patterns in otorhinolaryngology, which often result in mask exemption, mask certificates against the background of data protection. But Let's take a look at the video first um, that has been prepared here. Could you please show it to us? So it takes a minute but um, until it's prepared, but maybe we can just spend the time uh, here as a group first. Well, Josef, you've been an ear, nose and throat medicine for a while, so you have a lot of experience professionally and you're a private lecturer, so you have done scientific work as well. Do we need these masks at all? Yeah, well, hmm. I wouldn't say we don't need any masks. Or masks are redundant per se. I mean, that would be throwing out the baby with the bathwater. But uh, we always need to ask ourselves, what's the point of masks? What do I want to achieve in a given situation with the masks? And we don't have a life-threatening virus like Ebola, etc. So it's just a ubiquitous virus uh, who's become that's become ubiquitous in the meantime. So wherever you are, you will encounter the virus, and uh, we can just uh, fend off a fraction through the masks in terms of their design, the masks, uh, and due to their technical fitter characteristics, the mask cannot guarantee keeping off the coronavirus every time. So as a counter argument, people often say the virus is tiny, tiny 0 0.007 micromillimeters and the pores are so large that any virus will pass anyway. But we're not entering the, uh, we're not breathing in the virus, we're breathing in the aerosol. It's embedded in tiny droplets, but part of the droplets are kept up, uh, uh, off and a large part not. So in terms of uh, hard science, it's uh, really a chimera. It's a fallacy to believe that mask was and uh, the Technical University of Berlin had an excellent uh, trial or study. And uh, it proved uh, the entire failure of the masks. So, if the masks are not really tight on your face and they're hardly ever completely 
airtight on your face uh, because if they were, you, we wouldn't be able to breathe. Uh, so if they're completely tight, you have a certain uh, protection, but in real life, you don't have this uh, tightness of the mask. So 95% of, of the air goes in uh, unfiltered and it goes out again unfiltered. So if you cough in a regular FFP2 mask in the bus, um, then your co-passenger gets 75% of the germs. So uh, coughing is not ending after 1.5 meters, but it goes through the entire bus. So therefore, the masks are already counterproductive under that aspect. And as I said, uh, if you wore the masks entirely airtight, you wouldn't be able to survive it more than 15 minutes or tolerate it. So everybody knows this. It's been scientifically validated. We've got the respective data, but it's been well known. Nonetheless, people hang on to it for dear life. Um, you just pointed out now we've got the topical issue of masks, and it's really right at the top. But and I, I also thought so because, but I think in hindsight, after what we heard just now, in September, October, come September, October, we'll have completely different concerns. Once we have hunger and people are cold, this will be carried to the uh, graveyard in the first class funeral like the entire corona issue as such. But, I mean, maybe it will be kept alive, to put it banal, to keep alive the turmoil that we... Um, so, uh, so that the people can use repression and repressive measures so you're not allowed to go to the streets without a mask or to go to a rally without being vaccinated. I'm sure it will be used as a repression tool. So, again, it will have certain consequences. So, the masks uh, issue is being abused for political reasons. Yeah, well, actually, it's a political issue. Uh, anyway, so, as you can't just speak about it in medical terms, you need to discuss it under political aspects. And the powers that be are scared of turmoil uh, because it might uh, endanger their professional existence. And uh, it remains to be seen that masks and vaccinations could be instrumentalized in order to keep a lid on the turmoil. In the long run, it won't be successful. With the vaccination, it was different. People thought um, that uh, people would take to the street uh, if they found out about adverse effects. But I mean, not uh, everybody, I mean, not everybody dropped dead. Hardly anyone heard about the adver adverse effects. So that didn't uh, materialize. But if people suffer hunger and cold, then that's a different ballpark. That's a different um, game. And maybe there will be civil war, uh, turmoil, and that's absolutely possible. Basically, we have to say that it is an artificial crisis with uh, hunger and cold, and it seems to go um, uh, to have the thrust that um, they really want people to um, get stirred up and and to protest. Uh, anything else doesn't make sense. I can't really imagine they did it uh, deliberately. I think they just. Uh you know, let it go adrift, and now they have a war against their own people, so they weren't really clear that this is where this would lead to. Yeah, well, it might be um, possible that it's part of the agenda that we have to suspect here, unless you close your eyes and don't listen anymore. 
but it uh, could also be the tipping point where everything um, gets out of control, where they lose control, because controlling such unrest always uh, requires redirecting unrest into the wrong direction that you make people believe that you have to be mad at the Russians because of the gas or about something else. But the moment people realize, like Christian and Axel uh, said before, when people start realizing that the real enemy are the puppets, uh, they're only puppets, that's all they are, and that there are other forces behind them, that's when they will lose control. Well, I can just see video is prepared, so it said the mask ball of the elites. All right, let's see it, so. The federal government is making 50 million loans available to the land, to the country. And at the press meeting, the masks were put on and then taken off immediately. These few seconds show, really, that from the very beginning, we have been cheated. What else do you need to see but this? What more can you say? It's very brief, but it's also on the internet. It's really telltale. Could I show it again? Because I was, uh, it was just so fast. So, the, the federal government is making a, a credit of 50 million available to the country. So that's the end of the mask discussion here. Because it's just shenanigans. They just pretend it's just fake. And if people read and see this, then you can't, you know, you can't just go any other way but have yourself issued a mask to figure the waiver. Yeah, and at the same time, we see uh, that the mask, and I have it with uh, Wolfgang, um, who's in the Zoom already here. We discussed it already that the uh, doctors um, are now being prosecuted um, under the penal code uh, for issuing mask certificates. And we had your colleague, Dr. Kuchen, who said uh, that you mustn't trust uh, the patient anymore, that they have um, uh, complaints. Um, and then we see this show here. Well, Joseph, we have another video here. So it's very short, one minute, 30 seconds. So smoke goes through masks unless they're airtight. And even if they're airtight, so even if they're very close to your face, even the virus goes through. Could we just see it briefly? So smoke going through a surgical mask. Goes through a, a surgical mask. Let's take uh, this type of mask. Look again. It goes right through the mask and in all directions. Aerosols are not influenced by any material, mask material. Now let's take a look at a surgical uh, mask uh, with a nose bridge. Let's see. The aerosols go all uh, over the place. It has no impact on um, spreading aerosols. Now a uh, fabric mask uh, that I got from my wife. Another attempt. Boo, straight through and all around. There's no impact on the spread of aerosols. They go everywhere. And then I went and bought a, a protection mask with a, a guard mask with a highly effective filtering material. Let's try it. 
through and all around. No impact on the aerosols that are as big or larger than the smoke. Now I um, don't have an M95 mask, but I have this type of mask that you can put all sorts of things in. When you exhale, everything goes through a valve. Wait a minute. Um, guess what it could protect you from, what it couldn't protect you from. That doesn't look good. That's what I said, and that is exactly what the study in Berlin showed. And it's not only uh, this steam going out that was shown here, we know from a Japanese study, but we knew it before that the inside of the mask, um, just like the outside, is covered with all sorts of bacteria, viruses, and fungi that proliferate in this uh, moist and warm milieu. Um, they feel very uh, well there. And they uh, are also exhaled with every cough as well. Depends a bit on the pore size and whether or not the material is uh, moist or not. If it's moist, it is a bit um, tighter. But as the masks are never really uh, worn tight, nobody would manage to keep this. The um, respiration resistance would be so uh, high, particularly with children, as it's not um, close to the face, it's really pointless. We have to say, but it's ignored. That again is the political aspect about it. And that's why we have to argue politically. So the other day we had Professor Hollert here, and he also um, prepared, or he wanted to publish a paper on that. And he described the huge difficulties he had to actually place it. So in the meantime, there's even allegedly more than 1,000 uh, studies that prove that they are not only in vain, but even dangerous. Tons of them around um, since 2021. There were already studies performed in 2005 um, by a uh, Professor Butz, for instance, and they were immediately um, contradicted by fact checkers, but the results are incontrovertible. And now, of course, people come along with the mask uh, certificates, the attestations, and we have to say, before I speak about the um, symptoms that can lead to a mask attestation, you have to ask a very fundamental question that uh, affects uh, diagnostics and therapy as a whole. Who has the right to interpret the symptom, uh, um, the complaint or the um, diagnose, and there's only one thing that the Greens can subscribe to because uh, they uh, believe in anthropocentric medicine. It must be the symptom and the complaint. That has to have primacy. We always try to correlate that with a, um, a diagnose, but that is not always possible, not by a long shot. And uh, if necessary, if parents in um, Bavaria complain uh, to their parents that they can't wear the mask, that they uh, get uh, dizzy from wearing it, that they can't focus anymore, then this is an emergency situation. And uh, Professor Weigel uh, did issue mask attestations, um, uh, even via telephone. And that was medically justified in order to prevent any damage today. 
we can uh, issue a SIG cert uh, via telephone, and then uh, this must be possible even um, uh, so much the more so where a child is at risk. So the symptom is always the decisive thing, and the symptom and to question these uh, symptoms or complaints, nobody has the right, uh, no judge, no policeman, uh, no uh, public prosecutor, no uh, employer. And I don't know that uh, because of an alleged uh, or a doubted uh, a sick, uh, sickness uh, leave certificate, somebody would have been um, prosecuted by uh, police or law enforcement, and um, it's about uh, the alleged um, false uh, um, issuance of attestations, and that's just a complete mismatch. Uh, it's out of line with what usually happens, so when it comes to sick leave, um, you don't have doubt, anyone doubting it. I mean, it is Medicaid certificates. You could question this seriously, whereas every mask attestation will be doubted every time. So this is at odds with any practice so that the Chamber of Physicians doesn't um, you know, take umbrage here is really difficult to understand in terms of the politicians uh, denigrating here the attestation and that the uh, physi uh, Physicians uh, Society just puts up with that um, patronizing attitude on the part of uh, the administration or police forces is terrible. And it was the Greens who started this, it has to be said, from the medical centers, uh, from uh, going to the anthropocentric uh, medicine, i.e. The, uh, the medicine that focuses on people, and this is turned upside down. If you can't show a diagnosis, even if the uh, policeman or the judge uh, wouldn't understand it, uh, you're in a poor position. And we have to question this fundamentally. There's one question that every judge uh, should uh, consider. If you ask the judge or public prosecutor, if you go and see a doctor and you ask him to issue a six cert and uh, uh, the public sector has the highest uh, absenteeism rate, oftentimes for symptoms that are very difficult to objectivize. So if uh, judge so-and-so goes to uh, uh, see a doctor and uh, uh, gets a sick cert for three, two, uh, three or four weeks uh, for a back pain. Uh, for, then you can ask, how can you objectivize back pain, headache, or a fire uh, fighter? How can he objectivize um, fatigue syndrome? That's the same thing that they're requiring us to, to do uh, with masks. It cannot be uh, objectivized at all. And if this applies for the judge, uh, the public prosecutor, the firefighter, then it also applies to any patient who needs a, a mask certificate. And this is something that uh, need to be uh, said uh, to the judge, the public prosecutor. You have to ask this question verbatim. And if they can't answer this question, then their uh, argument collapses like a house of cards. Absolutely. Did you notice that your colleague, Dr. Kuken, had this uh, law case and he was indicted because of uh, issuing false attestations because allegedly 
Um, he didn't examine the patients whom he uh, issued the attestations. And then afterwards, it turned out he did see them physically. So they just changed tack. Eventually, he was uh, sentenced in the first court. Uh, I mean, I, he had to pay a fine for 18,000 because uh, patient symptoms and uh, conditions, because he was not supposed to have believed patients. That's absolutely unacceptable, I'd say. Any uh, worker in, in the court is uh, more qualified to judge that than any judge. Personally, I think this is just a perversion of law. I mean, this is paranoia, which doesn't even hold in the face of complete madness. And in German courts of law, you really have to question the uh, judge's competence. And I think we have to name and shame these people in the future. They can't stay anonymous. This is um, abuse of the law. Um, this is the worst perversion of justice any um, student of law would know better. 18,000 euros. Well, it won't uh, go through the uh, Court of Appeals, of course. And we also know there's a new ruling. I wasn't able to read it in detail, but I just saw a press release of the colleagues who fought for this of the Supreme Court in Bavaria. Uh, they n came to the conclusion, I mean, it concerns a mask where a patient, I spoke to Martin Schwab about it. Indirectly, it also relates to physicians. It's not issuing for its health certificates, even if the patient had not been with the doctor personally. I mean, that's again the primacy of the symptoms and the conditions, and you can also do this on the telephone. And this is also what the, court, the judges had in mind. I mean, this brings us to the point again where you need to realize that even uh, sick notes uh, can be issued, uh, sick certs can be issued over the telephone. They're even supposed to be issued uh, over the telephone because of corona. You can issue these exerts over the telephone in order to prevent uh, people from coming to the practice and spreading the disease. I mean, this was again promoted by the Joint Federal Committee. And um, you can also prolong it uh, for an additional seven days. Well, again, it can be politically motivated. I know this from Berlin. A couple of years ago, this was a kindergarten strike. This is where parents had to stay at home uh, in, in order to look after the kids. And uh, here the Senate officially said, just get a sick cert. And uh, you hear it an awful lot that even in hospitals, uh, people say, I can't put up with that anymore, um, that, you know, people get sick certs uh, because of psychological reasons they're uh, told, oh, well, they should be given the shots, they should wear masks all day, they won't be able to put up with that. By the way, did you hear that in Switzerland, the entire doctors of one hospital gave notice on the same day in one hospital in Switzerland? I think that's wonderful. I mean, if that spreads, uh, this is why I deliberately mention it, uh, then we can change something. And Wolfgang, I mean, were they affected by the mask uh, vac or vaccination obligation? No, they did it. Uh, because of uh, the hospital-based uh, vaccination obligation. 
and the University Clinic uh, of Regensburg uh, begged their employees, please don't stay away from work for reasons just because of the vaccination, because otherwise um, the whole business will go downhill. Okay, there's something we would have loved to show to another video. I have, uh, because since we're talking about issuing six uh, certs, um, there is a picture where you can, where, where, you know, which tells you how to identify a forged uh, vaccination certificate. I mean, who's this guy? Is it Bushman? He's the Minister of Justice. Nobody knows him. And I think the guy next to him doesn't know himself, uh, who he is himself. How do you notice a forged uh, vaccination certificate if the owner still lives after two years? That's how you know it's been forged. Anyway. So let's put it mildly, um, sometimes there's uh, madness we're dealing with. It's like yes. in a madhouse, yes, um, that's the only way you can say it. It's like in a madhouse. I, I imagine that two chimpanzees escaped from the uh, zoo in Berlin, uh, sorry, when they uh, looked through the grades and watch people massacring themselves and killing themselves, they conclude, well, um, the ape can't... Uh, um, be um, uh, um, the successor to these people. Well, we have to, um, we, we can't um, overstep either. Uh, you have to preclude abuse. So my um, approach is that you have to see any um, patient who wants to have a, a mask certificate, that you have to see them personally. It may be a day later or a week later, but I want that. And um, I tell all the patients, bring everything that you have in terms of um, investigation, examination results. I can't guarantee that I can give you a mask certificate. So if a teacher comes along, that happens all the time, that they say, I can't uh, do this for political reasons even. Um, I agree with them, but I can't give them a, cert a certificate. There's a wonderful quote or article. Um, it says, um, physical or physicians' uh, attestations, please be careful, please beware. And it date back to 2009. And the crux is the physician certifies that according to a, a medical exam, he verified the patient. And this is why an attestation is uh, wrong in terms of its content if there has not been an examination. This is why we must assume that a telephone-based attestation is uh, legally, uh, is illegal. I mean, this is at odds with the rule which was decided on now that doctors are allowed to write certificates on the basis of phone call in the midst of the corona crisis. So this is a complete new assessment of the telephone examination or um, 
And this is a kind of uh, vacuum, but I mean, or undefined space, but I mean, a doctor who is on the phone to a patient whom they know, and they know the patient has uh, issues, they have recurring, a recurring condition, or if you take a psychologist, I mean, he can't do anything else but speak with their patient, and you can speak over the phone in an excellent way. I mean, somebody who looks after a patient as a therapist knows how they're doing, they can put a question. Of course, they can say, okay, he's not doing well today, and he can also write a medical certificate. So in the individual, so it needs to be decided on a case-to-case -case basis. So if somebody just kind of uh, boosts their practice by promoting, uh, you know, free certificates, and this is just an inflationary use of medical responsibility, it's unacceptable. But if somebody works very diligently and really verifies as a doctor that there is an issue that would make the patient more ill than if he went to work or if he went to work or if he wore the mask, then I think it's perfectly legitimate. So we don't need to measure CO2 concentration or like a kind of pressure, etc. You can rely on your clinical experience, you know the patient, you can also do this over the telephone. And um, you can put many questions in order to do a reality check. Well, if you know the uh, patient, Yusuf is right, uh, that if you don't want to be uh, fooled, then you have to uh, see the patient. Of course, uh, you need to protect them against politicians. Always try to do that. Uh, and I always need to uh, try to protect myself uh, against politicians if I issue certificates uh, generously, uh, if I think it's necessary, if I think there's a condition. And, uh, you know, determining the symptoms is very important because the patients might be sent, uh, invited by the authorities and then the medical examiner doesn't see anything at the authority. And therefore, it's so helpful if you have something up the sleeve. I was the one working at one of those authorities. Well, for four years, I um, was the one to uh, perform these examinations in the health office. And um, um, when um, attestations were questioned, and I uh, noticed that uh, there were some uh, doctors who were notorious for issuing attestations, and I visited them then and spoke to them. Uh, doctors devalue their own um, uh, their own work if they issue these attestations for money. Um, that is inflationary. Um, this has to be done uh, with great care. question is only can you do it carefully um, via the telephone or not? And if the law says that uh, it can be over the phone for a sick shirt for seven days and then for an extension of another six, seven days, well, then, of course, it must be possible with the mask at the station as well. Well, just help me out. Mm, I have a purely medical question now. In terms of the entire mask discussion, Margarita Brisson said it's common sense. You know, what we really need for life is oxygen. Of course, we need food and drink, but oxygen is indispensable. 
And if you say if the masks were really tight, then, uh, you know, it would be the end of the story uh, no later than after five minutes. Then that makes perfect sense, you know, what you're saying. But we've got mini clip, a video clip. At the one hand, uh, people, you know, uh, speak tongue-in-cheek. But on the other hand, uh, you know, uh, it's also very serious. So Lauterbach about the infection uh, law. So he keeps falling asleep again. So it's one minute, 25 seconds. Could we see it briefly? What can it be? No. The uh, Infection Protection Act has been initiated. What happened? What has changed? Beginning 1st of October, there's a, a general masked uh, mandate in uh, foreclosed rooms. You may get tested uh, to go to a bar or club, but otherwise mask um, mandates will apply everywhere. Um, they can be used in schools. We have to anticipate that masks will have to be worn outdoors as well. We allow the federal states to establish upper limits if uh, caseloads increase. The vaccinations we have now doesn't protect too well from um, infection. We try to reach as many people as possible with the new vaccines as, as possible. You clown. Well, um, of course, um, you know, partly it was tongue-in-cheek. Uh, I think it's Rowan Atkinson. But, I mean, falling asleep during an ongoing interview or just uh, this kind of narcoleptic uh, stint, what can it be? It could be fatigue, of course. Uh, that he gets um, um, short uh, secondary um, uh, sleep like other people uh, while driving a car, but narc narcolepsy looks differently, I think. Yeah, well, um, on the internet uh, I read something about it and, uh, you know, there was a suspicion that's narcolepsy. It doesn't seem to be um, the one, but the assumption was that he has read uh, studies about corona um, uh, for, you know, nights on end, or maybe he's, uh, you know, uh, maybe he's got apnea, or maybe he's got difficulties breathing, so it could be his reason, gave, so he gave, a, gave an explanation. It's very embarrassing. Absolutely, yes. Now, the mask, where we saw from Professor Balava, so the mask is harmful to anyone. So how can I uh, have to produce something additional to in order to get a waiver, i.e. in terms of previous conditions or psychological uh, issues? Maybe uh, we can ask a different question. Can a, a doctor be forced uh, to uh, require a treatment that he knows will be actually damaging? 
Well, we don't impose a mask mandate. We don't impose masks. So whenever it's uh, indicated, and it's indicated in many, many cases, uh, in an awful lot of cases, we um, suggest uh, that we prevent masks. So where there's many people who are in favor of masks, so if you drive in the bus in Berlin at 31 degrees uh, in centigrade in the shadow, and I mean, uh, everybody's, uh, you know, red in their face, they've got uh, masks on their face and they have difficulties breathing and then they take off the mask. Then you can uh, expect that in 90 out of 100 cases, two or three people will get up and say, why aren't you wearing your mask? I yeah, I saw it today on the train. I saw it today, and somebody uh, sitting about eight meters away from me, uh, and he saw that I wasn't wearing a mask, and he was always uh, signing me uh, like this. And I got really furious, even though I was on the phone, uh, instead of asking me if he wants to have it. It's my problem. He is protected with a mask if he believes in it, but instead of asking, he makes these signs, and then at some stage he um, came forward and said, you have to put on a mask. And I was so mad that I said, uh, uh, deal with your own uh, business, fuck you. And then he, he was so mad that he went, got the conductor, and, and she took a look at my mask certificate, and that was it. Well, uh, many people walk uh, on the mask, with a mask on the street, and once the mask mandate ended in the shops, it took weeks until people gradually started teetering into the shops without a mask. I mean, to begin with, in the first couple of days, there were masks, and our job as doctors are only uh, to help those who understood the, uh, the the nonsense of this mandate and uh, or who have issues. We don't have to do away with the mandate. I mean, if the parents or the kids uh, of the kids think it has to be done uh, or like with the vaccination, then that's not part of our jurisdiction. As a physician in a public service, I have a different opinion. I'm used uh, to influence uh, local politicians when I saw something that something was too loud or um, was a health hazard, that there were some uh, environmental issues and I wrote uh, to the authorities and I said, you have to stop this, this will make people ill. So as a lobbyist for health, I take influence on politicians. And I had to do that. Um, um, I have to do that if I uh, work in uh, the public health service and I want to um, assume my responsibility. That is different from um, having a curative um, task. If you treat ill uh, patients, then you have a different role. But uh, in terms of uh, physician politics, um, it's really unacceptable uh, that you have to issue uh, attestations that somebody uh, doesn't need something that's uh, pointless and counterproductive then you really have to ask the question of what is the benefit. And I think that physicians uh, are welcome to get involved. They can actually demand that uh, there be proof that this is beneficial. And if the evidence is to the contrary, then uh, physicians are allowed to protest because they also have uh, the task of fighting for their patients. If a patient is ill, it would be good if um, the cause is, is um, residents because there's um, mildew um, behind the skirting boards, then of course as a physician I have to uh, support them um, 
vis-a-vis their uh, landlords. Um, you have to address them so they have to uh, remediate your uh, um, your apartment. I can't have them uh, come in again and again and just uh, prescribe an asthma um, remedy. No, I have to make sure that they get healthy again, and I have to fight for that. So there's uh, our responsibility as well. And I admire physicians who do this and who say, I don't want this um, happening to my patients that makes them unhealthy, which is not uh, beneficial to them or anybody else. It's not a public benefit either. They don't protect anyone. They don't protect themselves. They damage themselves. And even the question of whether all uh, the germs in the mask, um, handling the mask, the, the germs that you have in your uh, mask, uh, if you go, uh, if you travel uh, by bus, you hold on to um, bars uh, that other people have touched before, and then you have to put on and take off your mask. That is complete baloney to have to do that, that you have to put on and take off masks when you get in and out, that you uh, fondle your, you handle your mask uh, before that. that. There can be no benefit. I'm also a special physician, uh, a physician specializing in hygiene. Um, it makes my uh, hair stand on in, uh, even though you can't see it now. Well, there was, um, you know, at a conference, um, you know, a minister just kind of pulled the mask off, put it into his pocket in an unhygienic manner. But uh, I think, no, you can't force anyone to uh, to their luck. I mean, if they are happy under their mask, if they don't harm me, then my political zeal uh, is rather contained, contained, although I can completely subscribe to what Mr. Wodak said, Wolfgang said. There are smokers as well, it has to be said. Yes, exactly. But when it comes to issuing attestation, I'm like old school and I like to see the patient. I want to do a reality check. So uh, I very often find a reason, uh, I mean, a condition 80%. You just need to look hard. So, uh, but in 20%, for instance, if children can't be. Uh, examined and if the kid and the parents tell me in a credible manner that they can't tolerate the mask then i issue the attestation even though i don't see any re, uh, any any condition during the examination but i stand by that decision and apart from that in the um, on i see it an issue that in the attestation school kids have to um, specify the diagnosis i think it, it's incredible it's completely at odds with any kind of uh, privacy. So if you sign a contract for a 360 degree, uh, 360 euro glasses, uh, then you need to sign lots of paper for data privacy, etc. And Mr. Vodak also knows about the, you know, how much they're breathing down our neck uh, with regard to uh, data protection issues, etc. And here on the attestation, anything, any cleaner at school, any janitor at school, any school worker who can see this, you know, any teacher, any principal um, needs to have a medical diagnosis. Where should this end? Because the group of persons which will be presented with this attestation cannot verify this at all or interpret this at all. They don't understand what's written there. It's a, imagine, uh, it says reactive depression or imagine, and the teacher reads this, 
they they uh, put them in a uh, drawer in a certain um, a corner. So it's complete uh, control freaks, uh, you know, and uh, distrust. And Viviane and myself, in one of the many cases, or many, but in one of the cases where we are claiming damages because of the restriction, we were in court in Berlin. And here it's um, pivotally revolved around the question whether PCR test can prove infection, which it can't, because it's the exclusive foundation for everything. Then that's the end of masks and, and above all, the end of all vaccinations. And the uh, judges and everyone at court came in with a mask and they wouldn't recognize my mask at the station here in Berlin at the local court. And I said, uh, and the the judge said no i i'm the uh, you know i'm the principal here and uh, you know the, the house uh, this is my domicile etc and i rejected them because of because i said they are opinionated etc and uh, he said well if he, if somebody comes here then he can only come here with a qualified mask attestation iron attestation which contains the diagnosis so this is a complete perversion of law Plus, a, a judge can't judge whether um, uh, uh, what the diagnosis is. Um, also, um, a policeman can't reject uh, a, a certificate because the, it doesn't say the diagnosis. And um, I tell my patients, if that happens to you, tell um, whoever asks it, that is none of your business. And the same goes for judges. It's none of his business. And you really have to draw a line in the sand here. Um, you uh, can tell um, pupils they want to have a, um, um, a certificate and you can uh, accompany it with an, uh, an envelope, a sealed envelope, uh, write diagnosis on it and put the diagnosis inside, write on it uh, only to be opened by a physician and then uh, that's okay. And if a um, headmaster opens that uh, envelope, and they are like, okay, punishable. That's how you do it? Associate envelope. Okay. Mm. Only to be opened by a physician. Yes. So just, that's the diagnosis. Just for the diagnosis. Just for the diagnosis. And can anyone else uh, breach the medical obligation to remain silent? Confidentiality obligation. Well, of course, um, in. Um, penal uh, court cases, of course, if the question is that somebody is suffering from a certain disease um, and then in court, that's very ho uh, frequent um, in court. It's only a question of um, has, um, has the um, deed been done, i.e. Um, if uh, in a murder case, for instance, you have to have a dead body, otherwise uh, you can't go this. And then um, was there um, self-defense? That's one of the justifications. And then um, there's the third level, the apologetic level. And um, then you have to say, I have uh, certain, uh, I have frequent lapses and I don't notice uh, what I'm doing during these lapses. Then, of course, the court can say, oh, I want to know uh, for sure, and then they get expert opinions, but not in the circumstances that we're talking about here, not at all. Right. Yeah, Josef. Um, 
Well, as a topic, we still have the ENT um, conditions that may lead to these kind of uh, attestations, so you know, throat issues. And this was important for uh, for me because most patients are sent on to the ENT specialist because he is uh, responsible for the ENT sections and they have the most competency in this area. And the main reason here is a restricted uh, breathing through the nose um, and it leads to a transition to people breathing in through the mouth where people don't come in because they have nose problems, they have mouth problems, mouth breathing problems. And this is why the doctor needs to think about ways in which the nose breathing can be restricted. And there, the first axiom is definitely, it has to be, first of all, an ENT specialist. It's absolutely unthinkable. And please bear with me, Mr. Vodak or Wolfgang. It's utterly uh, unacceptable that a civil servant in, this, in the health sector uh, endorses or confirms this diagnosis or challenges this diagnosis because these diagnoses are difficult to issue. Even if you do an endoscopy, you never see right from the beginning that there's a deviation of the septum or maybe the mucous um, skin has been swollen. Well, I uh, did uh, look at people's noses too. Well, as a matter of fact, um, the deviation is not always a deviation, and then you've got a so-called nose cycle. I mean, this is where the nose is, uh, you know, not swollen, and six hours later, maybe it's fully blow in full bloom again. And then you need to have a look at the outer form of the nose. This is very often forgotten. Uh, um, sometimes uh, people were... Uh, operated in, in a proliferative manner, so either in, on their tonsils or on their septum deviation, etc. Afterwards, it wasn't better. I mean, the nose doesn't only consist of the orifice and the uh, septum, but also the outer form is this size. Very straight, uh, simple example. If you have a uh, if you have a broken nose, or maybe if it's a big nose or round nose, then. Uh, a house that is uh, bent from the outward can't have straight walls on the inside. So even if you have lots of failed surgical interventions with a septum, uh, then one of the reasons is that the outer form, outer shape of the nose was not taken into account. And uh, that happens very often. We only know f f for... Uh, uh, have known for a certain period of time that there can be dynamic restrictions, not uh, constant uh, static restrictions. So during the airflow, this uh, restriction can change. So it's not enough to use the speculum or use the medical tool and look into the nose because this way I change the dynamic changes. I mean, if you change your face this way, you get better, you can breathe better. Yes. This is so-called Kotel sign, according to the German, uh, the American ENT surgeon Kotel, who was also, by the way, the ENT surgeon of Hovitz. But anyway, in the lower area, uh, contrary to the top, we have uh, gristle, and the gristle depends in terms of uh, design and location from uh, one patient to the next. So one is soft, one is um, slanted. Uh, 
And we all know the jet pump principle from school. So the more medium you uh, have flowing, the bigger the uh, vacuum is that is created. And if you take a very deep breath in, then the uh, nostrils are taken in. And if you've got a pathological condition, condition, that can sometimes also happen when you breathe in. And if kids or adults have an increased um, um, resistance due to the mask and take a deep breath and they get uh, poorer air because of uh, the, the the risk collapse if they take a deep breath of air due to the restriction so the nostrils are drawn in so I just wanted to point this out because it's very often over so the overlooked that you can see in um, the mask um, that it uh, collapses when you um, inhale deeply the same thing happens again in the uh, nose I wanted to say something else. The uh, mucous tissue in the nose is very um, 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 deeply um, 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 supplied with blood. And um, it, it has an impact on how you breathe. If you uh, keep blowing your nose because you have a lot of uh, snot in your nose, then uh, you press more blood into the mucous tissue. If you uh, pull it back, there uh, will be a, um, a low pressure and the mucous tissue, uh, tissue will um, be um, uh, less swollen. Well, some people will notice that when they sleep, um, that if they lie on one side, um, the uh, one of the nostrils will uh, swell up and the other one will be open. If you turn around, then suddenly the other nostril will swell up and the other will free up. So uh, these are uh, mechanisms that um, are uh, in place, among other things, to uh, preheat our um, um, uh, the air we inhale so that we inhale it at nearly 37 degrees. Uh, these are very complex things, the mucous tissue uh, with um, the filtering uh, function, etc. It all depends on how sensitively the mucous tissue responds to what I inhale. There are uh, fragrances, uh, there are uh, dust that people respond to very differ uh, differently. Just think of people who are allergic to certain perfumes. I get crazy when I go through a perfume uh, shop. Or uh, a lot of people have uh, reactions to a pollen, etc. And the first responses are in the nose. This can be transitory. If I go to a supermarket with uh, such a mask and then I have um, this sort of um, problem because I have a super sensitive uh, mucous tissue in my nose, well, this can um, multiply um, and it can be very uh, serious consequences. Yes, as you said, people are very different. A, a negative allergy test cannot um, show that you have no allergy um, or that you don't have a, a hypersensitive uh, mucous tissue. That is very difficult to ascertained diagnostically, and this is why the symptom and the complaint play a crucial role because I can't prove the plausible um, complaints, um, but I can't deny the attestation to people. The 
MR, uh, MRT um, examination is overrated. It is a technical way of judging uh, nasal breathing uh, with a very uh, large margin of error. You get uh, measurement results that um, have oftentimes nothing to do with reality. Then you have this this daily rhythm with um, swelling and deswelling of mucous tissue, etc. And um, this cortical effect um, cannot be measured at all. So you really have to invest uh, to examine the uh, patient. But you said it in the context of allergies. We uh, know about allergies that are provoked by the mask. Uh, what you inhale in terms of bacteria, um, viruses, fungi, pollen that accumulates in the masks. Um, this is an iatrogenic. Uh, production of an allergy like we doctors would do it and then there's another effect that's not so well known uh, in 1998 three researchers got a, a Nobel Prize for it we have a substance in the uh, 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 endothelium um, i.e. the mucous tissue in the sinuses uh, that's where it's produced it's um, uh, nitrous monoxide and it is uh, taking through uh, the lower parts of the respiratory tract uh, through nasal uh, breathing. It has an incredible uh, amount of effects, both positive and negative, but mostly positive, um, with an impact on immunology, um, oxygen saturation, um, dilatation of vessels. Um, it is also uh, believed that it stimulates uh, macrophages, uh, the immune system, in other words. So uh, this would completely be lost with uh, mouth breathing. And that is something that we have to be um, uh, reminiscent about. And this is an effect. There's a lot of publications about it, but very few people know about it. These are many different small aspects that Mr. Wodak and I just mentioned. There are many more that mean that uh, mouth breathing is much inferior to nasal breathing. So uh, we have a great device in our face there. Can, can, can you let him finish, please? No, it's not a problem. It's always uh, in switching to mouth breathing. If we can make that plausible, then nobody can contradict this attestation. Because I automatically switch to mouth breathing. Yeah, because you can, can't breathe anymore through the nose. They come with complaints that have nothing to do with nasal breathing. They don't say, I, I don't, uh, I can't wear uh, the mask. Um, no, they're tired, they're ill. That's due to oral breathing, due to the blockage or the uh, impossibility of breathing through the nose. This thing you have in the center of your face is really miraculous it is capable of conditioning our air uh, that is a hundred percent humid had a hundred percent humidity is at a body temperature and can keep your um, air nearly dust free and you have to maintain it and you have to uh, take care of it you can't put this fabric in front of it the uh, nose is a great thing it protects us. And if you see the immunological aspects, what uh, level of uh, defense it can um, provide, how it keeps germs away from us. 
So the nasal biotope and its function is disturbed by this completely unphysiological, this, this uh, ventilation processes and the uh, different ratio of gases. That's a huge strain um, that damages your breathing, even if people breathe through the nose. Um, with a mask, um, the nose can't do his business anymore, particularly with uh, children. Uh, children have adenoids. Uh, children have uh, a lack of oxygen um, to start with because they breathe through the mo mouth. And if I uh, give them additional um, obstacles to breathing, then they go crazy. That's an important aspect. They go crazy. Uh, all of this doesn't only have physiological, but also physical, uh, psychological um, uh, compacts. We have a 10-year-old girl um, from uh, Sonthofen. It says here, this picture was uh, drawn by a um, pupil in the 10th uh, grade at uh, Sonthofen Gymnasium and was uh, printed in the annual report. This uh, picture should be uh, shown on uh, posters worldwide. This is how children perceive it. It's like a complaint that happens uh, under the mask. And that's how they feel. And if somebody complains about it, then they get an attestation. Nobody has a right to question this attestation. There is no incorrect attestation unless I write something that isn't true there. But even this picture and uh, the existence of the complaints makes this attestation valid. It shows how evil all of this is that we're dealing with here. Really bad, really bad. Okay, anything missing? I don't know, maybe Wolfgang has anything else. No, I think in terms of attestations and uh, the damaging effect of this uh, facial mask. We have really um, said everything. The question is how to handle it if this nonsense restarts in the fall. And I can only uh, call this hospital back to mind in Switzerland where all the doctors uh, handed in their notice. If a school forces children to put on the masks, then the parents have every right to uh, make sure that their children don't have to uh, do this. I wouldn't send my children to such a school. Nobody can force me to do that. Well, um, I really need to compliment the Corona um, Investigation Committee. So you're really doing a great job. And uh, I was a guest here, and it was about testing. And I got uh, requests and phone calls from the whole territory of the whole of Germany. So I think the uh, this is a wonderful group, and I am convinced you will make a difference. So my, that's what we do. Uh, we all uh, believe that. Now there are people who say, uh, just to um, be a bit uh, jocose um, uh, by way of conclusion, uh, some people say, well, we'll just up and leave. Um, one who said the same thing is Mr. Orban, um, the president of Hungary, I think he is. Um, it's a short clip that we have. He was just in Texas. And Texas is one of the states where, next to Florida and a few others, where the Americans say, no, we're not going along with this nonsense. Can we just see that um, video with Orban? Mind. 
the globalists can all go to hell. I have come to Texas. Also, the globalists can all go to hell. They can go to hell. He went to get Texas. And uh, well, you can see it that way, of course. But wherever we are, we will have to continue in this fight against these, uh, uh, you know, idiocies and absolute uh, um, disgusting practices. I'm sure that uh, all my guests see it this way. Let's get back to the phone call yesterday. So when my wife saw well that this lady lawyer was getting paler and paler again, and she said, look, I think you're out of your depth here, and I'm uh, throwing too much at you, but it's about understanding the full truth. Otherwise, we won't uh, be able to make a difference. Thank you very much, Joseph. I thank you. <laughs> and good luck. We'll speak soon. Okay. Good. And last but not least, we've got Professor Dr. Martin Schwab. Viviane, you want to introduce him? And uh, could you uh, tell me what um, we have to expect? Uh, so Professor Martin Schwab was a guest uh, since the very first hour. So he's a um and, uh, you know, he's a lawyer and university professor, and he joined us for a couple of sessions. He looks at a couple of legal constellations that are thrown at us right now. He launched a, a mask a, a waiver a protest letter, which you can download it, which, which is like a template. On the last meeting, he spoke about the census which uh, also brings along a host of interesting implications, including but are limited. Well, uh, if you want to uh, look at this again, maybe you can uh, look at the last session now. We is going to do about facility-based mandatory vaccination according to Section 20A, Infection Protection Act. And it's to expire at the end of the year. However, there's a new mechanism in the pipeline. Martin, do you want to come in? Yes, but before I do that, hello, everybody. Um, also, hello to uh, the audience. Hello, uh, Rainer. Hello, Wolfgang. Hello, um, uh, all the technicians. I wanted to add a few things to what was just uh, said uh, in the context of masks, I uh, was watching this discussion already because I'm doing the following. I want to write a letter to the uh, members of the German parliament asking them not to uh, support any uh, bill that uh, will uh, bully, uh, require children to be bullied again with masks or something else. Now, what happens is the letter contains a short summary of uh, contents and uh, for people who understand uh, um, more detail, uh, they will be able to uh, read on. When I'm done with that, I might update the um, sample letters um, that I've um, sent to the Corona committee because there are some aspects that are worth mentioning there again. Among other things, the uh, expert commission uh, for evaluation of the corona measures um, also um, made a statement on this. 
they uh, quoted a study for the uh, validity or the usefulness of the mass. They weren't able to um, confirm it or um, disprove their uh, usefulness. And they uh, quoted a study performed on uh, hamsters. So if that is the standard that is used uh, for um, as a reference for what is or isn't a useful measure uh, to counteract uh, transmission from human to human, then of course we have some room for um, development there, of course. But uh, I uh, was going to speak about something else. Um, I got um, a, a statement by the um, Supreme Court in Bavaria, um, and only Bavaria has this, and they expressly said, when it comes to patients, we don't need a physical examination. If it's about the physician who is to be uh, uh, punished for uh, issuing false attestations, then you do need the diagnosis. But the question is, uh, what is a um, appropriate examination? Uh, can this be done um, over the telephone? Or um, can you accept that if somebody uh, calls and says, my husband is ill, um, um, he can't go to work now. Now, if that is good enough, then uh, why is a, a close examination required for a, a mask attestation? I have this decision, uh, the original of this decision. Uh, now, I only had a chance to read it recently. I um, was wondering whether I should take uh, the floor during the discussion, but I didn't want to uh, interrupt um, colleague Toma. And uh, the walls we have to overcome uh, with the mask, that's an anecdote. Um, it's, uh, I was uh, traveling um, by train, um, was, uh, uh, arriving um, a few minutes uh, before I uh, arrived at the railway station, and I was sitting on the um, on the uh, car that carries bicycles. And I didn't put on the mask for the last few uh, minutes there. And in a group five meet, uh, meters away from me, um, there were uh, was a group of travelers who were traveling together, and one of them got up and addressed me and made this simple. <laughs> So, in other words, uh, please put on your mask. And he said it uh, in words, and I asked him, what legitimizes you uh, to ask me to put uh, uh, a mask on? And, I, uh, and he said, uh, this is a general rule. It applies uh, to all of us. And I asked him, what legitimizes you to implement this? And he said, well, if the conductor comes, then I say he didn't wear a mask. Okay, it went on. I asked him. I tried to discuss it um, um, uh, factually, and I uh, asked him, do you know that you're inhaling uh, harmful substances here um, and that you have uh, low oxygen saturation? And then he um, turned around um, in disgust, and one of the travelers said, you can't discuss with idiots like that. Well, uh, they could have discussed with me, but then you need arguments, of course. 
And um, the whole thing ended in that uh, the gentleman who uh, uh, spoke to me, um, uh, who had a, uh, a beard, and of course uh, on a beard the mask was no good anyway, and he said goodbye, have a nice weekend, and uh, the person said you can't discuss with, uh, uh, with um, uh, such an idiot, he said, and um, enjoy your um, soon demise. And uh, that's the uh, walls we have to tear down. And and when I uh, was working again, um, uh, I heard comments such as, "As there's a sucker born every minute, and assholes will uh, will never uh, die, will never become extinct." And I remember uh, Christian Drosnow, on the first of November, 2020, said on TV, "Everybody should." behave like as if they were infected and they should uh, deal uh, with other people like as if they were uh, um, infected. That is how you make a society sick. That's the very way to make it sick. So this really was quite fitting. That's why I wanted to tell that uh, anecdote. So if um, somebody uh, in Bielefeld from the uh, authorities in Bielefeld was listening to it, um, if they want to um, find me, um, they would have to identify the uh, time and place where this happened, and I won't tell you now. Uh, I only told this story to show that, um, um, well, to illustrate how uh, deeply this uh, propaganda of fear has divided society. Okay, next time, maybe if you were more on the train, could you keep an eye on all those people with the masks, whether they touch the mask in between? And then if you see them touch it, so uh, if they touch the handle when they get out, then you can uh, take them off and say, look, you contaminated this handle. You touched your mask, and now you touch this handle. How dare you? You don't des disinfect it. Why do you just get out? Uh, how can you uh, endanger, jeopardize your fellow compatriots? Well, you can, of course, uh, blow it out of proportion, yeah. Well, you know, I had it as a decoration on my handcuff, uh, just in case the conductor came and somebody came to me, look, you've got the mask on your handcuff, uh, why can't you behave like any other decent person? I said, look, I am a decent person, I'm not endangering you. But uh, people are not open to these kind of arguments, and uh, if they, in their environment, uh, talk about this incidents, then they would say, well, this was a con corona denier, conspirationist, and uh, etc. Well, well, anyway, forget about that. It doesn't matter. Now let's get to the topic of today's discussion. Um, I'm going to uh, go off on a bizarre tangent here. First of all, let me put it under the head heading. What does corporate accounting rules have to do with uh, infection protection laws? The mechanism I'm about to present, you know, the groups, parliamentary groups, which make up the government, SPDS, um, CDU, and uh, Green Party, which uh, introduced it into the federal parliament. Let me just uh, open the Federal Gazette, um, 20 stroke 5273. So this is a draft for the protection of the population, especially vulnerable people. 
from Corona COVID-19. And whenever bills are introduced to the German Parliament, of course, they need to strengthen something, i.e. facility-based uh, vaccination mandate uh, was supposed to strengthen something, i.e. the uh, strengthen the vaccinated population. Now, it's supposed to, this draft is supposed to expand to the end of the year, and what's about to come now is modeled on an area which the listeners of the corona audience of the Corona Oil Committee doesn't know, namely it's got something to do with accounting law. So what is accounting law all about here? So we all know that uh, prudent merchants need to uh, keep accounts. So depending on the corporate uh, type and uh, shape and form, they need to render accounts with the annual accounts, which consists of a profit and loss statement, balance sheet, and and uh, management report for certain uh, companies uh, as an information tool for investors. So how do I do that? How do I prepare accounts, balance sheets, uh, by complying with the generally accepted principles of accounting? Uh, so GAAP uh, or GAAP, US GAAP, or in Germany it's GRB. And uh, especially when it comes to reporting accounting, in the group, corporate accounts, consolidated accounts, then certain various influence uh, meet each other as a collision of various influence. A single statement uh, helps you determine how much profit can you distribute and how much profit you need to tax. And the consolidated financial statement uh, uh, in, uh, provide investor information. This is where certain interests collide and that has to do with, uh, you know, a match of prioritization of different interests. So all of this is highly politicized, but an area of politics where you need specialists. Now the legislator did the following. And back in 1980, uh, 1998, uh, they came up with 343 of the German uh, uh, of the German Commercial Code, and it said that the Federal Justice Ministry can recognize a private agreement by contract, and uh, can commission others uh, to render accounts in line with the pertinent uh, legislation if the parties cover their respective interests and uh, have the necessary expertise. And now here it comes, the compliance of um, with um, German GAP um, can be assumed if the rules uh, with the private of the, uh, in the private agreement are agreed, uh, are complied with. Uh, this means uh, that companies can do it differently, but if you want to be on the safe side, just stick by the rules of uh, the private agreement. All of this principle has its uh, uh, pitfalls because also in today's or in the old version, the interests of the accounting parties are clearly overrepresented. But uh, these standards have a certain effect which are being recommended here. 
because the companies always opt for the route of least resistance and um, sooner or later an auditor needs to certify that the uh, consolidated accounts are in line with the statutory requirements and the uh, CPA will make sure that they won't be uh, held liable. So this means the recommendations have a tremendous impact. Even though they are not legally enshrined, they're not le laws, they're not statutory requirements, they're recommendations, which, however, also develop a tremendous de facto effectiveness. So. Uh, probably I lost most viewers ever for the Corona Committee here by these presentations. Why am I pointing this out? Well, when it comes to all these nursing, home, uh, nursing homes and outpatient care, then we are supposed to get a mechanism which points exactly into that very same di uh, direction for it, facilities which render care for older people or patients in need of care. So be it inpatient, part inpatient or outpatient. And in the new uh, draft Infection Protection Act, it says the following. I'm going to read this out. Let me scroll down a few pages there now, just a second. They have to ensure that they uh, take the measures required according to the state of uh, medicine and nursing in order to suppress the spread of disease, infectious diseases. Now, what is the state of medical and nursing research? Who can determine that? Watch out. Now, let's uh, continue reading Article 35. Keeping um, the medical um, state of um, medical science and nursing science is assumed if the recommendations of companies um, registered with uh, um, RKI are adhered to. It's an organization. It is uh, supposed to be renamed today. It uh, used to be called Commission for Hospital Hygiene and Infection Prevention. That's an uh, institution attached to RKI. In the future, it'll have a new name uh, list uh, given in Article 23 of this uh, bill. Now, that means Robert Koch Institute a, uh, an authority um, with no um, legislative power uh, issues uh, such a recommendation. And if these recommendations uh, are adhered to, then the assumption is that you have worked according to the state of medical and nursing research. If you don't follow these recommendations, you have, you have to prove one way or the other that you nevertheless uh, adhered to these um, high standards. Now. Now let me uh, talk about the weaknesses of this bill and then let's take a look at the factual consequences because uh, this is quite um, strong. What does uh, the legal expert mean if he assumes something? 
we have, uh, uh, for instance, the presumption of fact, uh, for instance, that um, if um, in a uh, purchase contract, um, if uh, the seller knows that the um, product will um, uh, break soon, then you can't, then uh, the contract is null and void. If you uh, buy a new car and there's a hose that uh, breaks after a couple of months, then uh, you uh, can presume that the seller knew about this. Uh, you um, conclude uh, when you see that the hose is broken, uh, that it probably was broken already when uh, the car was handed over. And uh, for instance, if a uh, right is entered in uh, a land registry, uh, then it is presumed that this right is given. So because it is written in the land registry, then you can presume that this, uh, what is written into uh, the land register, then this, uh, that this right applies, say a uh, lien, a uh, right of passage, whatever. Now, what is pre uh, supposed to be presumed here, that is the weakness of paragraph uh, um, concerning the commercial code, uh, where um, uh, when I spoke about the accounts, um, um, a presumption will uh, be made here that a certain behavior uh, meets the um, uh, state of medical or nursing science. So this has nothing to do with medical science. It is just the uh, presumption of, a, uh, of the valuation, evaluation of a certain behavior. So uh, this has not been uh, evaluated in any way. Uh, even this uh, Article 342 uh, that has this presumption is uh, poor legislation, but at least we have the benefit that there is a um, body, um, a pluralist um, panel that is to um, determine what these um, standards should be. Uh, so you can have, of course, uh, various um, societal groups represented there. Now, who is the panel with RKA? There nothing uh, in the um, in the um, act, in the bill, that there will be any representation of the rights uh, or interests of um, hospital visitors, of public health, or uh, anything else, that this is uh, a panel that is pluralistic in any way, shape, or form. The only thing that Article 23 says is that the panel needs to uh, reflect the uh, extended tasks now. In other words, if you uh, do uh, as this authority um, orders, no, it's recommended only. If you act like this authority recommends, then you're on the safe side. If you don't, then you're in God's hands. What will be the upshot? Well, let's breathe life into this um, bill. It has been analyzed very well in the Corona blog of uh, 28th of July, and I'll try to uh, comment on it. The Commission recommends the state of medical research, uh, medical science is met if um, staff uh, get a booster every three months. 
So every nursing management uh, that doesn't implement this um, will be exposed to the risk of not acting accord to the state of medical science. If the Commission recommends unvaccinated people are not uh, no longer uh, be allowed as visitors, as it is unfortunately already the case in some um, hospitals in um, uh, Germany today, then the, the, the medical management will say um, to avoid any beef with the health authorities, uh, uh, particularly also in outpatient treatment. I'm curious to see how they implement that to make sure that I don't become uh, liable under uh, the civil code. If somebody gets infected, I just don't allow unvaccinated vaccine, um, uh, visitors. And children who can't be vaccinated are not allowed uh, to come in. So the four-year-old grandchild can't visit her grandmother anymore. Could be um, too dangerous. If the commission recommends that unvaccinated people cannot be allowed as residents in a nursing home anymore, then I won't get a nursing uh, home um, place anymore without a vaccination. That could be the upshot of this new uh, bill, which will apply to old age nursing homes, nursing homes and outpatient uh, treatment centers. They don't apply to hospitals or um, physicians' practices, but um, the others are affected by it, and um, it will be very difficult for them if uh, uh, the the RKA or the Commission recommends these things. They are they will say um, hundreds or thousands of times that they're independent, but um, I can't believe that they will be independent because they are attached to the RKI particularly when they are to define uh, the state of medical science. That would be the precondition that this be independent in order to have any um, credibility here. I, um, I'm not sure if everybody um, of all the members of parliament will support this bill, which was uh, drafted by the government and then uh, submitted to parliament. I don't quite uh, believe that all MPs understand uh, what they're voting about and how they are passing uh, highly uh, political decisions um, for the standards of uh, treatment of um, nursing patients. Politics will then be done in the authority, in the RKI or the Commission because I believe that um, the actual effect, probably the desired effect, is that all the uh, service providers in this field uh, are to adhere to the recommendations. Now, what happens if, uh, what happens to people who are not willing to accept the umpteenth booster and can't find a nursing home place for, uh, because of that anymore? So, uh, well, then, uh, uh, at the end of the day, they say, oh, you shouldn't uh, allow these people into the nursing home anymore. So we are uh, driven into a legal no man's land whose implementation is uh, only at the hands of a, uh, an authority. Let me just double check another aspect, which is also legally important. 
Well, the fact that such a recommendation is being issued and it is it has a quasi legal or law character character, and if you don't comply with it, there's an awful lot that can happen. If I do think I need to behave differently for a certain reason, if I do this on the reasons of diligence, if I do something different than what was recommended, so if I let the kid go to the, her grandmother, then the onus of proof is upon me that this is permissible. So through the rule, I have a reversal of the of proof really it's a um, reversal of argumentation um, you can't give proof for a legal uh, judgment you can uh, show uh, prove whether uh, the uh, land registry reflects the actual uh, property conditions but uh, this is a legal um, subsumption um, uh, process. When, when we have a damage which is allegedly to have occurred there, is it, is it also no reversal of the onus of proof? Courts will be um, uh, asked to handle it this way, but as a uh, home management, I uh, would have to argue, argue I allowed this uh, child to see her grandmother because and then the judge will have to evaluate whether this is as um, much in line with medical research, uh, medical science, as the recommendations. Because the grandmother said she would su commit suicide uh, if she didn't see the kid. I saved the granny. Yeah, that would be an example, but it is an incredibly crass and, but also a lifelike, lifelike and important example because you spoke of the uh, evil intentions behind all the mask mandates. I uh, think the example you just gave, Wolfgang, um, shows how evil uh, the spirit behind these uh, corona measures. We can see it with the way that some uh, nursing homes and clinics uh, implement that before it's even required. Um, uh, visitors to one clinic uh, told me that uh, children under five that can't be vaccinated can't enter, right? No exceptions made. I have to say, to be honest, if uh, these trends continue, and of course that has a radiation effect, um, like if uh, nursing homes do that, then clinics um, and hospitals will feel compelled to do this and introduce this on a voluntary basis um, in uh, recruiting staff. They'll soon very uh, quickly that the dramatic lack of uh, personnel that they have will become worse. Uh, on, the, on my Facebook uh, page, I um, referred to a report by Hessische Rundfunk from the end of June where the uh, University Hospital in uh, uh, Hesse uh, said that um, um, staff who uh, have tested positive for COVID but feel well are allowed, are welcome to come to work. That's unheard of. Um, and um, so uh, the Infection Protection Act is to protect vulnerable people so people who are, are uh, have 
been tested uh, positive and who uh, supposedly have this lethal uh, virus and spread it, uh, they're welcome to work. But people who are healthy um, are not allowed to uh, get in because they're unvaccinated. Is that the right way to protect vulnerable people? There are even some epidemiological pointers that that's a huge damage that is created as a result of the lockdown or the restriction. The, you know, the withdrawal of uh, staff, positive PCR testing, quarantine of the personnel. Many people died because they were no longer cared for. They didn't die because of corona. They died because they couldn't get, you know, anyone to give them anything to drink. Uh, in some homes, even the firefighters had to come. I mean, in some homes, uh, people were found dead in bed because there was no personnel. They were in quarantine. Or maybe they weren't allowed to enter the country when it was close to Czech Republic, etc. So that happened. So people are not just endangered by certain hygiene commissions uh, coming up with uh, hygiene optimization restrictions, but people can be endangered by a lack of uh, personnel and by destroying their psyche because at the end of their life they're denied bog normal contacts, human touch. Uh, and that creates a disaster for these people here. People are utterly, in the, on the hygiene committee, are utterly ignorant and they are not qualified in order to assess this. Well, Martin, from my point of view, that is a, a sleight of hand, a legal and psychological sleight of hand to undermine the division of uh, powers because we have to assume that there are still some MPs, just like in the US, who wouldn't support that kind of thing. So if this were... Uh, a, an act of law, uh, then um, you have to fear that uh, MPs won't support this. That's the so-called administrative state. So these important things really need to be done by the legislator, the executive and the administration is to implement this and the judiciary is to verify if this is done. So if here we have this seemingly uh, independent authority, it is uh, subject to uh, directions to directives if they are allowed to um, arbitrarily determine what is uh, the state of uh, medical science in um, nursing homes so that's the legal sleight of hand and the uh, psychological sleight of hand is it's no instruction it's only recommendations that's a psychological uh, trick because we know that um, people and the people who work and manage um, the nursing homes have been uh, beaten into submission so badly that they will con uh, go along with anything with the upshot that you just described that there is a complete um, lack of empathy and inhumanity uh, moving into the nursing homes with the result that the five-year-old child isn't allowed to visit her grandmother anymore. Well, I'm very much uh, familiar with that issue from the guideline uh, discussion. I mean, in medicine, we have medical guidelines which are produced by the medical societies. Sometimes they contradict each other. So uh, I already spoke about the sinuses, the ear, nose, throats, and the uh, surgeons of uh, the jaw, etc., and others have different three different guidelines. 
So the guidelines uh, uh, are informed by the various specific interests of the respective societies. And if a doctor doesn't behave according to these guidelines, if they, they diverge from the recommendations, then the, the, the onus of proof is again reversed because otherwise the judge will say, well, you didn't act according to legatus. You should have known this. Now you need to, uh, now you're liable for damages or you um, violated the life and limb. So again, the onus of proof is reversed and the doctor needs to prove that otherwise a larger damage would have been created or that this benefit for the patient would have been better. No, no it's not a reversal of the onus of proof. There is no onus of proof. If we, if these recommendations, which are like disguised commands, say, okay, this is where you're on the safe side, and if you behave this way, you're no longer on the safe side, then you won't be able to arrive at that. Uh, automatically, it's a legal uh, anticipated assumption of facts. So anyone who doesn't play ball will be deemed a criminal and he does need to expect legal fines, uh, penalties and uh, criminal consequences. Yes, the law gives him the possibility to say, I diverge, it was just as good, but this violation of the uh, or justification option is just a theoretical one, Rainer, is that right? Because what's so funny, I mean, the uh, Section 342HCB uh, Commercial Code of Justice, where I just saw the script for the final edition, it's got to be said to the publisher, was finished two days ago, and I just need to send it in. Anyway, and here in the literature it said, because these uh, recommendations don't uh, tie in with the plans of SMEs and then some uh, some companies complained and the auditors uh, swallowed it. Well, anyway, um, if I see as a nursing care home operator, either I take care of somebody without vaccination or I won't be able to get people, I think they will be pragmatic enough to diverge and clarify this with the health authorities and um, the, as, as soon as I have the sign off of the authorities, as long as uh, um, uh, as you ca take care of your clients, then everything's fine. So in that case, I'm probably not liable for criminal charges. So it depends on the cooperation between the nursing home and the competent health authorities. Remains to be seen. So that was an important discretionary uh, aspect with regard to 28. You know, it was uh, uh, negotiated. This is what I hear from my lawyer's practice. Nobody wants to endanger the care for patients, definitely not the authorities. So I don't know what about politicians who pass these laws. Um, not too sure here, but anyway, when it comes to the authors of these laws, uh, it's difficult to believe then in any good motives. Well, Martin, uh, for uh, pertinent uh, causes, the uh, states will have to digest this, that i.e. The, the German Senate, because the states will have to implement this. So the states have great responsibility for this. And I have heard that uh, some states uh, are really opposed to this. Now, political hope is that at state level, uh, there's enough reason, um, which we can't see at the federal level. Yes, let's hope for the best. Well, 
I'm part of the initiative Seven Arguments, and they wrote a very influential letter concerning general uh, vaccination mandate. I'm not one of the signatories. Simple reason I found out too late about that project. But when I uh, signed my uh, signaled my interest, I said, look, you can no longer uh, sign your name because it's too late, but you can become involved in the workshop working group uh, law. And I uh, became a member and informed colleagues and on this group. So maybe as an initiative, we can write on that. So many of them went to a holiday. Now we're in the summer hiatus where at universities there's a respite and finally you can go on your holidays. But anyway, I'm sure that we will become active here again in order to make clear that this this law shall and must not find a majority. Many parliamentarians are not clear about the fact that actually they are disposing a part of the legislative power to which they should hold on for constitutional reasons. I can't say according to the state of medical science. As a parliament, I can get advice from science but I can't just say, well, I leave it to the discretion of some medical officers and that I'm not interested in the rest. Well, as a legislator, this is a responsibility I must live up to when it comes to steering the healthcare system, especially in vulnerable areas, um, vulnerable, uh, which concerns vulnerable patients. I mean, it's irresponsible to relinquish that driver's seat. Uh, anyway, that's what I wanted to share today. And this law also has another pitfall and uh, also was voiced through the various channels. It doesn't reflect the, uh, affect the Infection uh, Act, uh, Protection Act, but the fifth code of the Social Code of Justice. I'm going to read this out because what I'm going to read out now um, is something I had to read five times before I actually understood it. So we're talking about uh, section uh, 20i, I like uh, idiocy and uh, of the social code of justice, uh, to put it in plain uh, English. So this is a, a group of laws which regulates the rights of the health, statutory health funds. So 20i will be modified, amended as well as as follows. So there's a semicolon which is going to be added and uh, vaccination can be included for the indication and can comprise the indication areas for which the drugs uh, have not gotten the label by the competent authority or the European Commission. Holy shit, what does this mean? So should they get the label or shouldn't they get the label? It uh, doesn't really make sense. So, actually, it's about 20i, section 20i. Let me introduce you into this law. So, insured persons have a right to protective vaccinations. And here it's about the scope of uh, services rendered by the health or refunded by the German statutory health funds. And if it says I've got an approved drug and I want to use it for an, in an off-label area, then that just means that as a patient, I have a right to uh, uh, to vaccination in the so-called off-label use area. That means 
product has been approved for a certain area, but not for another area where it's being supposed to be used. So people do know that the Corona vaccine shots only have a qualified label for the first two shots. And even for the booster, I would like to speak to Brigitte Rürich, who's a very versed uh, lawyer, very knowledgeable lawyer, and she is very familiar with pharmaceutical legislation. So even the booster is not liable for reimbursement. Maybe if uh, all EU drugs have a label for the second booster and the third and the fourth and the fifth. So maybe it's going to be uh, difficult here. So it doesn't matter whether it's Biotech or Moderna or Johnson & Johnson. Get a label for the umpteenth booster. So just go ahead because it has the label and it's being used in an area where, where you have off-label use. But anyway, this 20i is interpreted as though this is like a carte blanche for free citizens, free pharmaceutical companies, and without any label, they can push their products into the market. That's not the case. The product needs to have a label. And now, however, you can also use it in off-label areas. That's the uh, interpretation of this uh, standard, the way I understand it. But it's very cumbersome, and in the rationale, uh, in the whereas 20i section 1 and subsection 3, I saw rationale, and uh, actually it's not really an explanation, it's just uh, uh, an amendment, and it's uh, not really clear what's uh, the reason for this. So I think there's something we should explain to some people that here you have carte blanche for the administration of uh, shots, where afterwards nobody checked whether this is really fit for purpose when it comes to this off-label use. Or, well, fit for purpose or adequate. Well, we have to differentiate a bit. It's a field where I worked uh, intensively for 20 years. Off-label use. Uh, from a um, pharmaceutical uh, law pers uh, perspective, um, it's different from the um, social uh, code. It's just a question of whether it's uh, paid for uh, by the public health um, insurance companies. Um, it's not a question of whether it's allowed. Uh, in um, the hospital, for instance, uh, even if this is paid for by the health insurance company, the hospitals are allowed to do things that you as a, um, a, a physician with your own practice aren't allowed to do. So there is more uh, liberty for the hospitals than for um, uh, physicians who have their own practice or GPs. Uh, so there are different rules that are different for rare diseases, for um, uh, pediatry, etc. This is um, about the question of the uh, joint uh, federal committee is uh, oftentimes um, uh, consulted here. Now, what I'm interested has this committee uh, commission uh, for um, economic viability been consulted here. They look at uh, the 
relationship between benefit and uh, damage, and we only want to have things that have um, finance things that uh, provide more benefit than damage. <clears throat> and the question is, did they um, uh, have their say or were they uh, ignored? I'm afraid that they were um, bypassed, just like they were bypassed with all the um, so-called COVID vaccines. Um, it was just uh, decided and the uh, insurance companies have to pay. Yes, that would be really interesting um, to find out. Well, the question is, what does SHI pay for the health funds? I think uh, they won't pay for something which isn't approved uh, in terms of pharmaceutical law. So I see a certain qualification. I don't see a certain qualification in the new section. Well, the medication uh, legislation allows off-label use uh, in individual cases. And uh, this um, is extended to the um, funding by the uh, public health insurance. So this is the approval of a, a drug for a certain area and off-label use is the using it for an entirely different area, treating entirely different diseases without previous trials. That's the issue. So you can, can't just uh, take a ballpark. Well, if it helps again to headache, uh, headache, it will also help against restless legs or whatever. Well, the pharmaceutical companies, they do that sort of thing. They uh, use uh, drugs that are um, um, suitable for a certain indication. Uh, they discover some side effects and um, that might be helpful. Aspirin, for instance, was uh, developed for uh, headaches, but it also has a side effect that it uh, reduces the production of uh, thrombocytes, so it is a blood thinner. So you can have a new approval uh, for the same um, product you have already, and if it's still patented, then you can get very high prices because you have a monopoly there. And the, this, uh, um, these uh, monopoly tactics, uh, uh, that is really uh, easy uh, to meet. You don't need to meet the same um, uh, studies than with other drugs because if the pharmaceutical company develops anything, uh, any drug for rare diseases, they don't earn a mu uh, much money, so they can um, have patents for a number of years to protect uh, their interests and um, its um, pricing and, and economic uh, considerations that uh, are behind the classification of um, drugs and how companies file for uh, approval. And then the next question is, will the public health insurance pay for it? And there you normally have the uh, joint federal committee um, where you have the uh, pharmaceutical industry and the physicians on one side and uh, the insurance companies that uh, say, oh, we don't want to do that. And then they get a scientific um, expertise. Those are uh, very drawn out processes. And that's with AMNOC, the um, um, Reorganization Act for uh, Medication uh, made four years ago. Um, and that allows uh, for many uh, drugs to be um, approved at short notice uh, for very high prices because it's such a rare disease. And now we have an emergency with the uh, pandemic and you can do anything you like. 
Yes, well, Wolfgang, everything is bypassed. Everything that used to be uh, in place as checks and balances is completely bypassed in terms of institutions. They presume that it's helpful just because they offer something that uh, that they claim to be helpful. Well, as I said, 20i simply states uh, off-label use will be reimbursed, whether the, the legitimacy of off-label use depends on the pharmaceutical law and also specifies whether you need to have a clinical trial or not. But what's interesting here is that certain vaccinations, um, once they get a label, are also reimbursed for their off-label use. And it's important that we take a very close look at the legal requirements here. So why am I saying this? Well, the fact-checkers are definitely going to have a field day here, and they say, well, this is rubbish that uh, now suddenly products are being used without a label. Now, we really need to take a careful look at what's involved here. But the rule is very cumbersome, very opaque, and uh, it has not been explained with a single word in the legal bill. And Wolfgang, well, you mentioned who should have been involved before introducing a bill is incredibly helpful because this is precisely the reason why we have this ICWIC, uh, the Joint Federal Committee, the GBA in German Parliament, They're the watchdogs. Yeah, of course. They are to watch over um, uh, the fact that uh, nothing um, is sort of that is too expensive and harmful. Well, you don't need to worry about the fact-checkers. They're paid hitmen who are paid for uh, denigrating those people who actually try to tell the truth. And they're being paid by precisely those people who, you know, created all this mess we're mired in right now. Well, I'm just saying, sometimes uh, things are uh, claimed. Uh, for instance, when they said uh, there will be a burden uh, sharing for vaccination damages now, and I looked at what's being claimed, and uh, I looked at the fact checks, and I checked uh, the legislation, and currently the uh, Burden Sharing Act and the Census Act don't allow for um, burden uh, sharing for vaccination damages. Um, but the question is, will that always be so, or will there be more? So uh, the trend behind the fact uh, checks is always, uh, don't be worried, it's all a conspiracy theory. And no, people, uh, it's not the case right now, but look at what's happening uh, and being discussed by politicians. And watch developments, because if the guidelines uh, of the um, um, professional associations uh, discuss these things, well, I um, uh, somebody pointed out the most interesting uh, parts of the guidelines on uh, COVID-19 uh, treatment, and uh, there's a lot of um, conflict of interest. Thirteen. Uh, authors indicated uh, conference, uh, conflict of interest, and if I want to say that this is um, uh, could stand in uh, law, then I, um, uh, if I uh, don't um, verify uh, the quality of uh, the product, um, 
then I have to uh, ask, well, did the S3 guidelines um, um, apply? Were they applied? And I have, of course, to question those guidelines. Well, uh, somebody, as somebody who has an awful lot to do with the AWM, I mean, the Medical Society, which prepares the guidelines, I need to come in briefly. So they provide support, they try to introduce quality, so there's really people who try long and hard in this area. And for instance, the AVM, for instance, uh, made sure that the conflicts of interest need to be declared, and they also made sure that uh, people who have a conflict of interest are not allowed to vote when you have a decision-making process. You need to take this into account. If we consider this, and this means that somebody who voiced the conflict of interest has a poorer situation than if somebody uh, kind of hides it. So here we need to be careful. Well, Wolfgang, it's good that you should say that. Uh, this is background information that uh, people who don't have as much profound experience like you uh, have uh, wouldn't be aware of. So it's important to know this. Even, um, you know, if I um, make statements in this context again, uh, I have to take this in consideration. We don't want to be unfair here. We have to state that the health system, the more it's uh, economized, the more um, subject it is to corruption. And so we have to identify uh, the influencing factors, but not, uh, we shouldn't see them where they're not. Um, uh, we have to uh, do something that our society doesn't like doing anymore, differentiate. Wait. Something that we didn't have is, uh, so you know, we were never scared of the fact that uh, you have a conflict of interest if you endorse uh, government policy up to now. It was always uh, declaring an interest if you got uh, supported industry. So it, you get, for instance, uh, money from the government if you say what the government wants with masks or vaccinations, you get lots of money and support and uh, so the government gives up to five million for funding s3 guidelines per annum and these five million i mean allows you to prepare up to 10 s3 guidelines that's our guesstimate and if you want to get them then you get government funding which is completely unconspicuous of course it's not a conflict of interest is it Actually, but I mean, in that situation when the politicians involve, become involved and uh, try to have a say, what medic, what meds, um, what medical science uh, um, decides. I mean, uh, that's unparalleled. I mean, you only knew this from totalitarian states where the government said, "Well, doctors need to do this, that, and the other." Well, we were always scared of the industry, but now things have changed, and we need to learn, embark upon the learning curve. The moment I see that the government pushes in a certain direction, I mean, there are two major institutional uh, fund providers, uh, uh, that's the, for university, that's the German Research uh, Society and the European uh, Commission. They have uh, Horizon 2020 and the successor programs where you get uh, quite sizable funds, uh, subsidies, but under the uh, enormous uh, pressure to uh, get um, outside funding, 
um, because they're uh, made dependent uh, from that, that 90% of applications uh, are binned at the end of the day because one expert um, had a, um, an argument with his uh, children in the morning or because uh, somebody was even uh, submitted an even better application. Exactly. So there's a lot of um, competition for these funds. I have to say that I uh, am lucky enough that uh, as I only need two databases and a few books, I don't need this, uh, these funds. If I uh, dared approach the German Research Society with any project, uh, completely independent of uh, COVID, etc. But after all that I said in the context of COVID, they simply see the name Schwab and they say, no, um, rejected. And the same goes at EU level. Those are state funds, state funds. Maybe you would be lucky if they confuse you for the other Schwab. Uh, maybe you'd get billions. Well, then I don't need them anymore, though. Uh, if they uh, confuse me with the other Schwab, what does he need money for? But yeah, fine. Right. What I was uh, saying is these are state funds that are um, handed out in uh, competitions, but the state that controls these processes creates an environment supported by a pro-government government is what I'm uh, doing here. Is that right? So you have to have facts and um, evidence has to be uh, gathered and that's not happening anymore. I spoke uh, with a good friend, a pilot recently who spoke, um, who, who told me about um, um, if you would uh, have to take a decision very quickly without uh, being able to determine all facts. That is the uh, top priority for uh, pilots. Uh, it could have to do with common sense. It called Forecastle. It's a uh, Fordeck. It's um, an uh, English acronym. If you notice, as a pilot on a plane, oh shit, I have a problem. It's a bit brighter out there uh, than I um, than usually. The, um, maybe uh, one of my um, jets is burning. Uh, so the first F stands for facts. You have to determine the facts first. Then the, uh, you have to see what are the options. And then once you use these options, you have to see what are the risks and uh, benefits. And because you don't have any time up there, based on these three uh, first three letters, you have to make a, a quick decision, D and then you have to execute it, but you can't stay uh, there. Then you have to check, you have to verify whether it worked, is it too dangerous? Just, this is common sense, we should all use it, a Fordeck. So facts, op options, risk, benefit, decision, execution, check. We don't even do that, not even that we do. And worse, if uh, at least a true um, chicken bones or uh, red um, coffee grinds. It's not even that. No, we have an um, um, inhumane evil agenda. That's what's happening here. And that's what you mentioned, um, Martin, uh, control mechanisms, control institutions. That's why we believe 
the state of law doesn't exist anymore because it plays no role anymore and why we have to assume that we have an administrative state now where even the division of power, uh, the checks and balances are undermined so that suddenly authorities uh, are making laws factually. Yeah, well, as I said, it's important to always bear in mind uh, um, what kind of mechanism we want to roll, they want to roll out. So we've got Section 35. So it's, uh, you know, uh, very much work in progress. Uh, it's still a draft. It will be discussed in the Health Committee. And, and at the end of the day, Parliament decides that, well, we don't need it. Yep. Oh, well. Well, I keep uh, keep an eye on the issue. It's important. Uh, if I speak in front of the Corona Committee as a lawyer, it's meant to help people make sense of certain developments in legislation. And Wolfgang, in that case, I'm incredibly grateful for your interjections because it helped uh, clarify things to me even more. I'm a, a pretty prickly person, uh, but I'm very happy when I get uh, pushback from the other side as well. So, thanks. Yeah, well, because I think health uh, legislation something I can't do without uh, speaking to experts with uh, hands-on experience. And uh, there's one thing we can't, uh, uh, you know, uh, that people can't charge us with. We don't, uh, well, we absolutely try to provide an objective presentation of the legislation. It remains up to everyone left uh, else, uh, you know, uh, to make sense of that. So I just wanted to say that this bill is so dangerous, we need to make sure that we prevent it. True. Yeah, well, Martin, we can only be happy that uh, some legal experts still um, stand fast and are, don't allow themselves to be uh, unsettled, um, even if you uh, might have a, an easier life if you were um, willing to compromise with um, uh, people who might provide uh, funds to you. This is, of course, uh, scientism that we have uh, in universities across the globe, not only in Germany. Well, it would make my life easier because I could no longer look my, at myself in the mirror. Well, because of fundraising, well, you know, I uh, always, uh, you know, I looked at the economy of fundraising, but I always wrote expert opinions uh, for people who didn't pay me for it, but who were legally right. So I didn't write any legal experts for Deutsche Bank with because of Comex, etc. So I was rather more on the other side uh, active. Well, I wasn't active at all in Comex, but uh, I was also in the field of you know junk real estate, etc. and uh, subprime mortgages, etc. So supervisory boards who understood, oops, uh, something is going severely wrong, so I didn't get any uh, fees there in that case. So I wrote experts concerning social housing in Berlin for the then 
position in the House of Parliamentarians, and I could see the wonderful lawyers uh, the government uh, afforded and uh, the kind of uh, friendly price I made for my clients for even more work. And uh, this is where I witnessed how uneven the distribution of resources is between Parliament and uh, MPs. Or, um, you know, we need uh, counterweight to the government state level. And that's also a problem with regard to the division of powers in Berlin. So the division between the central government and local government. Currently, I'm no longer writing any expert opinions. And I'm happy that I'm no longer being asked uh, for this. And now I can afford this luxury and say uh, anything to do with infection protection is now and anything to do with that is now my focal area. I will now focus on this. Uh, however, I also keep an eye on corporate law. I will continue to comment on the code of commercial or com code of commerce. Well, thank you very much, Martin. Um, it's important to uh, hear these things. Um, that's important uh, to be able to respond appropriately. If we don't know the facts um, and the trends, then we can't respond appropriately. Thank you very much. Well, before Viviana um, uh, concludes, we have three clips that we want to show at the end. Um, I would like to expressly announce them again. Uh, one of them is an American uh, comedian, Jimmy Dore, the Jimmy Dore Show, who speaks about the Pfizer income, what Pfizer um, has been earning, not only with the so-called vaccines, but with the sprays as well. That's not only a few, it's umpteen billions. He makes fun of that. Then we have a 10-minute speech by Sting. We uh, used to complain that uh, too few um, artists speak. He uh, speaks about Ukraine on the surface. He made a, a song called Russians Love Their Children Too, and that plays a role there as well. And in this interview or this uh, speech on a, a stage in Holland, I think, he clearly speaks uh, out about um, freedom of opinion. That's very important, he says, um, otherwise we won't get appropriate uh, information. It might have been in Poland. Yes, you're right. It's just with Dutch subtitles, I think. And then we have an extremely frightening clip for people um, who are uh, uh, members of the Catholic Church who used to believe in the Vatican and the Pope. Um, very frightening about a 20 euro uh, coin that the Pope and the Vatican are propagating and it shows a scene where a child is being vaccinated. They're pushing that now. So you should take a look at that. Even if it's frightening, we have to see the facts. I think that brings us to the end of the session. Anyway, I think it was most instructive. Lots of food for thought, exciting. At this point, usually we ask you to, um, you know, to support us because we live on your donations. But uh, now we have a consolation where we say, okay, it's to do with internationalization, and this is why we're going to present something next week. And we ask you to, you know, not do anything this week, and next week we're going to present something, and you can decide whether you want to help us raise funds or not. 
Anyway, thank you very much. Have a wonderful Friday evening and a wonderful weekend. See you next time. See you next week. Well, have a nice weekend. Goodbye, Wolfgang. Goodbye, Martin. Pfizer forecasts $32 billion in revenue for their vaccine for COVID in this year alone. And another $22 billion for oral COVID-19 treatment Paxlovid. Son of a gun. Can you imagine if they sold you a vaccine for polio and then a drug to treat polio after you got it, after you got the vaccine? You got it twice after that? <laughs> what kind I of vaccine? What would they be saying? Paxlovid. To yeah. Ah, monkey Paxlovid. Like, what would they be saying about a polio vaccine that if everybody got it, then also got polio? What would they say? Well, ironically, that is literally what happened when they first put it out because the pharma company that made the vaccine screwed up and put live virus in it. And that was the birth of vaccine hesitancy. So by the time I got the polio vaccine, they'd worked the kinks out 20, you know, years and years later. Oh, I didn't know any of that. That's right. I think you told that story once before. I, yeah. Um, I got that, by the way, from a news story. I, I, I'll find it. We said to you, this was when Trump was in and saying, we're going to have a vaccine. Don't worry. So it was an article by someone going, hey, not so back when it was a good Trump vaccine. They're going, hey, slow down, because, you know, people might get hesitant with good reason, because this is what happened with the polio. Vac like, I got it from the same kind of people who would be mad that I just told the story now, basically. That's a lot of money they're forecasting. So, by the way, and don't forget that this virus was invented in a lab, most likely. By who? By the funding of Dr. Fauci. So Fauci, they, they fund and invent uh, the COVID-19 virus, and then they have the solution that they're going to sell to you for a couple hundred billion dollars. <laughs> what do you call that? When you invent a problem and then you sell the guy the solution? What do you call that? I'm pretty How sure. How got huge? I'm pretty sure that's called a scam. To finish an evening off with something quiet and thoughtful. So before we finish this concert this evening, I want to say a few words about the Ukraine. And I want to be, I want to be very clear in my words. So I've asked a Polish friend to join me on stage and translate my words into your beautiful language. He's a very famous man, a widely respected actor, an activist, and a thinker. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage, Magic Stewart. Like my brother. Dobry wieczór, kochani. So, here's what I want to say. Democracy is under attack. Demokracja została zaatakowana. It is under attack in every country in the world. Zaatakowana w każdym kraju na świecie. It is in grave danger of being lost unless we defend it. Jeśli nie będziemy jej bronić, stracimy ją na zawsze. But democracy is messy. 
Ale demokracja to bałagan. Democracy is frustrating. Demokracja to frustracja. Democracy is often inefficient. Demokracja bywa nieskuteczna. It needs constant attention. Wymaga ciągłej uwagi. Constant adjustment. Ciągłej naprawy. But it is still worth fighting for. Ale wciąż warto o nią walczyć. Because the alternative to democracy is a nightmare. Bo alternatywa dla demokracji to koszmar. The alternative to democracy is a prison. Alternatywa dla prawdziwej demokracji to więzienie. A prison of the mind. Więzienie umysłu. The alternative to democracy is violence, oppression, imprisonment, and silence. Alternatywa dla demokracji to przemoc, opresję, zniewolenie i milczenie. That alternative is called tyranny. Ta alternatywa nazywa się tyranią. All tyranny is based on a lie. A każda tyrania oparta jest na kłamstwie. The greater the tyranny, the bigger the lie. Im większa tyrania, tym większe kłamstwo. The tyrant lies to his country, he lies to the world, and most of all, he lies to himself. Tyran kłamie swojemu narodowi, kłamie światu. A przede wszystkim okłamuje samego siebie. To disagree with the tyrant risk imprisonment, torture and death. Jeśli nie zgadzasz się z tyranem, ryzykujesz więzieniem, ryzykujesz tortury, a nawet śmierć. Yet that is what we must do, all of us. A jednak to właśnie musimy zrobić. Każdy z nas. We must take that risk and defend our right to speak the truth. Musimy podjąć to ryzyko i bronić naszego prawa, by mówić prawdę. Our minds will not be imprisoned. Nasz umysł musi pozostać wolny. We must defend the freedom to be ourselves. Musimy bronić wolności, by być sobą. In our minds, in our bodies. W naszych umysłach i w naszych ciałach. The war in the Ukraine is an absurdity based upon a lie. Wojna w Ukrainie to absurd zbudowany na kłamstwie. If we swallow that lie, a lie will eat us. Jeśli przełkniemy to kłamstwo, ono nas zje. The lie is terrified of the truth. Ale kłamstwo panicznie boi się prawdy. The truth must be heard. Prawda musi zostać usłyszana. And we must not this battle. I nie możemy przegrać tej batalii.
possession steal over Trying on the color of the evening sun Tomorrow's rain will wash the stains away Something in our mind will always stay Perhaps this final act was meant To clinch our lifetime's arguments But nothing come from violence And nothing ever could For all those born beneath an angry star werden Zeugen eines schockierenden Ereignisses. Der Vatikan hat damit begonnen, 20 Euro Münzen zu The Vatican came up with the 20 Euro coin, uh, which, is what, which was founded. One side of the coin shows St. Francis, her, uh, head of arms, and the other side shows uh, a kid which receives uh, a vaccination, all three people were wearing masks. So this suggests that there is a Christian vaccination center. This link of the Vatican to the vaccination policy is shocking. Pope St. Francis is an ardent uh, adherent of uh, vaccination, reality of vaccination consequences. It's to be done. Today, you have to take the shots. Ethically, everyone should be vaccinated. Getting vaccinated is an act of love. He was the first European head of state who introduced the facility-based vaccination obligation or mandate. This caricature of the man and the woman on the 20 euro coin directly refers to the Holy Family. So the Pope directs his vaccination propaganda towards families in order to make them get their children vaccinated. If Mary and Joseph uh, live today, would they have Jesus vaccinated with an experimental and toxic vaccine? No, never. Would they run the risk of killing Jesus? Absolutely not would they run this risk. Preparing the vaccine mandate for children is a crime committed by Pfizer in January 21. According to data of the uh, British Office for National Statistics of dating back to 2021, children at the age between 10 and 14 years of age will be vaccinated with uh, two doses of the vaccination between January and October 2021. Uh, they had a 51 time higher risk of uh, 
of death than unvaccinated children. So Pope Francis boycotts this uh, shocking fact. In France, the authorities, without publicly announcing this, are preparing experimental vaccination of children at school. And this is uh, published by, uh, or this was what we learned from the Supreme Health Authority. Transgenic injections will replace conventional vaccine vaccines. France and other countries introduced these dangerous products into the mandatory vaccines for children of less than three years. This will be a major disaster that will outpass the major major flood. It will we will have a whole generation of genetically modified organisms. The fact is, will they have descendants? And if so, which ones? All of this happens in line with the uh, Vatican. The Vatican has a criminal strategy by referring to the uh, big pharma arguments, Vatican, the Vatican. So there uh, sees collusion with the uh, puppet masters of the world. So it's very clear that there are uh, pervasive forces in the Vatican, but um, accepting satanic forces uh, is uh, devastating the world. The Vatican abused its supreme power over children. So the Catholics will take their children to the vaccination centers like Philistines. Don't uh, offend the Holy Father. Dr. Richard Day explains the new order of the barbers in his book and states, as soon as the Roman Catholic Church has been toppled, the rest of the Christian Christianity will follow suit. Some will think that the Church will um, put up a fight, but in reality, the Church will aid them. Not all bishops, not all priests share the same opinion concerning the transgenic injections of as the Pope. There's no doubt that the malicious or evil vaccination of children will further create a schism in church. So we quoted the facts from an informative article. The entire Catholic patriarchy can only uh, add the words of the Bible. Uh, God warns through the prophet Yesaya, the leader of my people, became seducers. And the ones whom they lead are lost, Isaiah 9, 16. 